Welcome, everybody, to the Tookie's Take Podcast. It has been a couple of weeks since I have been able to say that. I have missed this, but we are back. And not only am I joined alongside Mr. Endo Mills. Endo, how are you? I brought, the, I brought Dr. Pepper. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Sponsor. So, okay, so, <laughs> so, so I will explain what happened. Yesterday, we were grabbing snacks after hockey, and I told the, the lovely girlfriend to, hey, grab some snacks or whatever. I'm like, what do you want? Uh, Dr. Pepper, sure. She gets me a two liter. I, I see last night, I'm like, you grab me a two liter? I'm not that fat. Jeez. I'll finish the whole thing, but like now I have to contain myself. Usually it's like, oh, I grab like a can, like a tall boy. I'll have that like once every like three days. Now it's like I can drink this whole thing in like probably 10 minutes and I have to I'd hold off. The self-control is not is not good with me. So before we get to the introduction of our third person here, obviously the hiatus in the show for the last couple of weeks has been a synonized trip over to Finland at the end of February. I'm going to save a lot of those stories, one for the sake of time today, because we are talking about the NHL trade deadline, and there's a lot to talk about, obviously, not so much for the actual deadline day, but because I want to be here with Sin on the show talking about kind of our stories and our experiences. But soda is a relevant experience because I have not been a soda drinker regularly for 10 to 15 years. But over in Finland, I discovered the magic known as Pepsi Max. And I didn't know that I could still enjoy a soda like this. It's basically zero sugar Pepsi. And um, yeah, it is goddamn delicious and a problem. If I were to move over there, I would have to I'd have to really kind of practice a lot of self-control. It is delicious. So shout out to Dr. Pepper and Pepsi Max, two official sponsors of the podcast. Our third member of the show today for the second year in a row. And I can't thank him enough for being here. He is a reporter for the Vegas Golden Knights for the Las Vegas Sun, a member of the Pro Hockey Writers Association and friend of the show. Longtime Twitch viewer, Mr. Danny Webster. Danny, thank you so much for being back here. Very much appreciated to uh, make this hopefully a yearly tradition. I don't know if it's possible, but at least uh, two years in a row. I, I, I appreciate you having me on the show, my friends. I forget why Sin missed last year's show, but, you know, hey, if we <laughs> if we keep having these February finals and he keeps staying over later uh, than I do, then, yeah, this works out kind of perfectly, doesn't it? Yeah, either yeah, that or uh, we have another either that you have another host just kind of leave the show again. You know, you never know what could happen. But <laughs> we'll keep it going on through hundred percent, all three of us and now four as a special guest. Honestly, great to have you here, Danny. Great to yeah, great to appreciate see you again. That sh- that shining it. face. The three glasses squad. Yeah. Look at this. Yeah. <laughs> three glasses squad, I dig it. There you go. Our eyesight may be poor, but our critique <laughs> of thirty two NHL teams will not be. As we are going to go. <laughs> Club by club and kind of just keep it simple. Pass, fail, or somewhere in between for every team in terms of what they did, maybe what they should have done. <clears throat> Philadelphia uh, at this particular <laughs> trade deadline. Can't wait to get to them. Uh, before we get to our first team, though, and kind of kicking things off, we won't have a viewer question segment today because I'm sure it's going to be a long show. But we do have to mention that this podcast is still brought to you by our lovely friends at Manscaped. That has not changed. 
I hope it never does. Of course, you can use code Tugi at checkout. That is T-O-U-G-I-E for 20% off your order and free shipping. And who knows, maybe eventually a free can of Dr. Pepper or Pepsi Max. Who knows? We might just be able to sweeten the deal that much more for you. But with no sugar in the case of Pepsi Max. I'll say it one more time. Uh, but with that, again, a big thank you to our friends at Manscaped for sponsoring the show and sticking with us here through the early stages of 2023. It's March, by the way, which you want to talk about getting back from Finland and adjusting to being home. The fact that it's March, uh, that it was my birthday a week ago and Don Sweeney delivered for my birthday while I was over in Finland. Can't wait to get to that trade too. But we have to start off, gentlemen, with the Anaheim Ducks. We'll go alphabetical on this one. Uh, Anaheim making quite a few moves in the past week, but none of them all that major. Uh, mostly AHL swaps. Josiah Slavin for Hunter Drew. Dylan Sakura for Max Galad. Chase Prisky for Austin Strand. And... The other interesting one was uh, trading away the signing rights to uh, Harvard defenseman Henry Thrun to San Jose for a third. Apparently, he wasn't going to sign, but boy, Henry Thrun looks awesome. Their two big trades really happened today. Uh, It was sending Dmitry Kulikov to Pittsburgh on 50% retained for Brock McGinn and a third in 2024, and sending John Klingberg to Minnesota, 50% retained for Andre Schuster. Uh, prospect Nikita Nestorenko, who I believe is a former sixth round pick and a fourth rounder in 2025. Hearing that and knowing that the Ducks are at the bottom of the standings, they only had a few other UFAs they could have moved. Derek Grant, Kevin Shattenkirk, Nathan Beaulieu. Where do you guys happen to put the Anaheim Ducks? I'm going to throw I'm going to put Endo on the hot seat first. Let's throw over. to Oh, Endo. boy. Yeah. As a guy who, who barely pays attention to the docs itself. Yes. Um, getting rid of Klingberg is something big. Uh, I wonder if they're going to be able to get something from Nestorenko. I've been watching him for a little bit. He's he's pretty decent. Uh, but I don't know like if it's going to be. If this is more of them pushing for you know getting the the hunt for Bedard or Mitch Kov or Fantilli and all that because like that top five like draft spot possibly they could be ending up in is something huge for them. So I guess this helps the the tank in a way and gives them like decent prospects to, to boot as well. Sounds like a pass to me. Mr. Webster, Anaheim, a division can, rival can, of the team that you cover. Can we give an incomplete? Like I, I just yeah. <laughs> some of these teams, especially Anaheim with the the Klingberg situation was a massive fail, obviously. Um I I think just the fact that they were able to get something out of it, if Klingberg was actually playing to the level that he's been accustomed to playing for the last couple of years, then maybe they could have gotten a little bit more. And, you know, I think Anaheim really took a risk on thinking that Zegras was going to evolve in year two and that the team was going to actually kind of ascend off his uh, rookie season greatness, and it didn't happen. So... The Ducks are just there, like you said. They're just trying to skirt by in order to get Connor Bedard, and whether whether or not they get him or not, it remains to be seen. But there's going to be a long road for the Ducks if they don't get in the top three. It is going to be a very long road for Anaheim. I think I'm with you there, right? Just the idea of kind of somewhere in the middle and incomplete. It's not a complete fail for them. They managed to get at least something 
or some of their assets. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was nothing too major. So yeah, I'd go somewhere in between. And then there's a team that managed to get everything because they tried <laughs> to trade away everything that wasn't nailed down. <laughs> the Arizona Coyotes. And oh my God, where do I where do I start? How far back do I have to scroll? It kicked off February 22nd. They acquired Shea Weber's contract and a fifth rounder this year for defender Dyson Mayo uh, going over to the Vegas Golden Knights, of course. Uh, They helped facilitate the Patrick Kane trade and picked up a conditional third round pick in 2025. It's going to be a third rounder. Regardless, they picked up another third round pick from Carolina uh, in 2026 for Shane Gostisbehere. How the hell did Shane Gostisbehere only go for a third? That's insane. They dealt Jacob Chikrin, finally. For a conditional first round pick, I'm gonna. Do I even have to say conditional? Because everything has a condition in the NHL everything nowadays. Everything's conditional, yeah. But yeah. a 2023 first rounder, a 2024 second rounder, and a 2026 second rounder. They took on Jake Voracek's LTIR contract for a sixth round pick, and they dealt John Gillies to the Columbus Blue Jackets. Uh, they retained 50 percent. Of Nick Bjorkstad's contract, 450 grand, <laughs> and dealt Cam Deneen with them to Edmonton for defenseman Michael Kesselring and a 2023 third rounder. And then today, finished it off with the first ever brother for brother trade as they dealt Nick Ritchie and Troy Stetcher to Calgary for Brett Ritchie and Connor Mackey. Um, God, I will, I will start off on this. Now, I will say, because I, I defended them a little bit on, on Twitter because GM Bill Armstrong is playing franchise mode. If you look at their cap-friendly page and the amount of draft picks that they have this year and the next two years, it is astonishing. For those of you watching on the video feed, the video side of things, you will see uh, just how it is. ridiculous it, is it currently is. There is the conversation over just how badly they're exploiting the system, right? You take on Shea Weber, you help facilitate the cane trade, which is five and a quarter of dead cap. Um, again, you retained on Bjugstad as well. You take on the dead cap of Jake Voracek, whose career might be over. But I have to say, I don't really have an issue with it. I get that the optics for the Coyotes are okay, are, you know, you're always going to question the financial standpoint, I think, of the Coyotes. Uh, but I, I genuinely don't have an issue with it. And I don't think much of the fan base does either, even though if they go to a game or watch a game, you're going to be seeing a mostly AHL-level defense at this point. Uh, but I think in terms of tearing down, Bill Armstrong hasn't been in charge of this team for long. It's been two years. I, I think this is kind of that final step of tearing down, really trying to shore up your chances in the next couple of years and building up the team in his image. It's a passing grade for me. I get why some people are like, oh, all this dead cap. And uh, I believe right now for this season, uh, they currently have $28 million on injured reserve and $4 million in dead cap. Wow. It's pretty efficient, beautiful. in my opinion. Danny, what do you <laughs> it's think? Beautiful. Um, so I, I don't have a problem with it because the Coyotes aren't going anywhere anytime soon. They, they might go to Houston or Atlanta, but they're not going anywhere in terms of actual 
you know, results on the ice. And I mean, I, I lost count of how many draft picks we're looking at three, seven, eight, 12, 15, 16, 20, 22 picks in the first three rounds over the next three years. Uh-huh. Could Bill Armstrong physically some way put those picks together and get some talent on top of possibly getting a top three pick and getting some excitement in that college arena before they hopefully eventually maybe get the new arena deal? I don't know. But you can't go wrong with getting all these picks. I mean, I, I, I shudder to think if he's actually going to keep all of them and utilize all of them. That would be astounding. But I think this, is, this might be eventually to where the Coyotes, they've had a respectable season. But for the future, if they want to package some of these for, you know, Taylor Hall 2.0, go for it. So I have no problem with this. Endo Mills, your thoughts on the every, everyone's, especially Twitter's favorite team, the Arizona Coyotes. Yeah, as the resident Canadian, um, part of me is like, yeah, they're going to have all these picks. so They can just go move the team to Quebec and all that stuff. But realistically, I think this actually changes things a lot for the NHL because they obviously had some parts together, some pieces going their way for taking all these dead cap and contracts and people on LTIR like People make fun of Arizona, but if it wasn't for them, they wouldn't have this massive Patrick Kane trade happen. Mm-hmm. It was. It, it, we're going to talk about Minnesota later, but it was these two teams mostly who had the three-way trades, if not other teams as well, to make these things actually happen. Like we have the meme where it's Shea Weber, uh, Yotes legend, and like you know Patrick Kane, Yotes legend, and all that. Because technically speaking, they are members of that organization because they're considered on their payroll. So I like the, what they're doing. I like that they're willing to. You know, it doesn't really look good on the league, maybe per se. This that this team is completely just dropping everything off and really buying into the whole rebuilding thing. But like you said, how many picks in the first three three years you said? Yeah, like 20, 20, 20, 23, somewhere around there. Yeah. Yeah, twenty-three in that time. And they have this arena deal right now for what, three years, and then they move on to the bigger arena. So by then you have like three years to essentially build up that like team and go for a cup contention in my way. Or maybe just being like, not even like contenders for the cup, just to get into the playoffs itself, because like they're doing decent for the lack of a NHL roster per se that they are right now. Like you imagine like what happens in the next two, three years with the strong draft classes are going to be coming up too. like, and you said you can flip those picks for players or players for picks even more. Like you never know what's going to happen. And I think this is a really, really, this is like the biggest, like, we're really going to go all in for the tank. I've probably ever seen even bigger than the uh, McDavid situation with uh, Buffalo and the mm-hmm. Toronto Maple Leaf situation with Matthews. We'll move on to the Boston Bruins, the team that <laughs> last night set the record for fewest amount of games to 100 points with 61 games played, uh, beating, I believe, the 76-77 Habs by one game. So suck mm-hmm. it, Montreal. Um, their first trade. Okay. So Jesus, this, I, again, I woke up to this. It technically happened on February 23rd. I woke up in Finland on my birthday to this news and oh my God, as they acquire Garnet Hathaway and Dimitri Orloff from Washington, as well as a, (laughs) a great meme player, a 26 year old Russian named Andre Svetlikov. 
uh, to which Sin replied on Twitter, Svechnikov? No, Svetlikov. Um, Minnesota <laughs> helped facilitate this deal. Uh, they took on a fifth-round pick this year from the Bruins to retain uh, money from Orloff. And the Capitals acquire Craig Smith, a first-rounder this year, a third-rounder next year, and a second-rounder in 2025. Obviously, we'll talk about it from the Minnesota and Washington perspectives in a bit. Uh, the Bruins also acquired Shane Bowers from Colorado for Keith Kincaid. And then yesterday, Tyler Bertuzzi for a 2024 first rounder and a 2025 fourth rounder. And perhaps above all else, my goodness, yesterday, David Posternock was re-signed. I was fully expecting this to go down to the wire. I, I mean, I'm talking draft week in terms of whether or not we would know, but he signs an eight-year extension with an $11.25 million cap hit. He is worth every penny. Um, I'll I'll go ahead and give my thoughts. I am a happy boy. I mean, obviously, the Pasternak re-signing. Dmitry Orloff, I mean, he is... People are already memeing his nickname as Bobby Orloff because he has been... <laughs> <laughs> wow he, so has, he has eight <laughs> points in four games as a Bruin that is, he has that is been wild. insane I, on top of that you know last time out right we were talking about this time last year Hampus Lindholm and whether or not he was the right guy at the right time I viewed the Bruins as really needing some offensive help they went on in the playoffs to be sunk by one of those potential offensive helpers in Max Domi and the Carolina Hurricanes, so that sucked. Uh, this year, man, I mean, first and foremost, Hampus Lindholm has been amazing, but to get Dmitry Orloff, who's crushing it, to get Garnet Hathaway, who is just another pain in the ass to play against, who is also a really good defensive uh, forward, and then just for shits and giggles, you add Tyler Bertuzzi yesterday. I mean, granted, they were able to add Tyler Bertuzzi because Nick Foligno and Taylor Hall are both hurt, but hey, we can go full Tampa with this, and once they're fully healthy and ready to go for the playoffs, everything is looking good for this potentially record-setting team. It is exactly what I wanted. Why hold on to draft picks? Go for it. You are the best team in the NHL. You might not get another shot like this. The Bruins have no second-round picks in the next three drafts. They only have a first in 2025. That is how you go for it. I am overjoyed whether or not they win the cup or if they lose, at least they went for it. Don Sweeney, two thumbs up. My goodness, I, I am shocked that he did this well. Endo, your thoughts, because we'll get to Toronto when they did their fair bit as well. But yeah, I mean, it, it's an interesting spot for both of us as fans of, of you know, contending Eastern Conference teams who... I mean, this entire conference went nuts over the past two weeks. Yeah, if the one thing that I remember is before the season, you're having like an anxiety attack in terms of like how this roster was built. You know, you're not sure if Krakey's going to come back. You're not sure if Pasternak's going to stay. You're not sure if the Bruss is going to be like going to and a bunch of other guys going to possibly walk out the door after the season's over. This is the last hurrah. And I, I feel this is like more so related to the entirety of the East Conference. I feel like there's something that the GMs know about the upcoming season and the offseason that we don't know about that caused all these trades to happen. Uh, whether it's about like the whole uh, 
uh, RSS, uh, regional sports uh, network thing with the whole defaulting on the money and stuff like that. And there's supposed to be a, a supposed like cap increase too. So like part of me is like these trades only happened because of something like that happened down the line as well. But back to Boston itself, just I don't know how these moves are, are happening. Orlov, you know, Bobby Orlov now, uh, just the great just the great lineups that they have too. like that Boston fourth line is going to be an absolute wall. Like I like Boston was already one of the toughest teams to play against beforehand. But you had Bertuzzi on there and you have A.J. Greer possibly like throwing throwing just knuckle dusting everybody on the ice. It's going to be Dude, insane. You have you have <laughs> Hathaway. Uh, I mean, obviously, Marshawn there, Trent, Frederick, Felino, Greer, like just the amount of of grit that they have with the high end skill at the top. My God, it's like you get the one guys. It's a perfect like lineup setup uh, of like kind of old school hockey and modern hockey. You have the the top two lines of the go out there and just get pucks in the back and that and give them a break or throw. You're basically two lines of just. People are going to punch the living crap out of the other team. It's going to be interesting to watch, and I'm glad I don't have to play you guys first round. Danny, your thoughts on the Boston Bruins? Well, first, I got Pasternak at a bargain, I think. Yeah. That, that is a bargain of a number. I, 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 I would not have been surprised if he, if he somehow would hit the market or if Boston went up to the last day with an eight year and looking at 13, 14 million, I would not have been surprised. The fact that they got him now and they got him for that number, huge for Don Sweeney. Um, Orlov trade was, I think exactly what they needed because it looks like they're putting him next to McAvoy. You can correct me if I'm wrong, Um, but it looks like it gives McAvoy kind of a security blanket, I guess. So it's not like he's out there doing it by himself. And clearly, if he's got this scoring touch, it, it's an added bonus for that. And, you know, we'll, we'll, I'm, we're going to talk about each of the Eastern Conference teams that decided to load up and essentially putting all eight to ten teams contending for a playoff spot now in one giant hell in a cell and just letting them go at it right now. It, it is truly, uh, truly incredible. But for Boston to realize where they are in the standings right now. And not only they, they could have probably just stood pat and they probably still would have ran away with the president's trophy and they still would have ran away with the best record in the league. And, it, and no one would have batted an eye, but you for Don Sweeney to be as aggressive as he was to get another caliber, a top four caliber defenseman, a guy in Garnet Hathaway, who is a wrecking ball and he's proving to be a wrecking ball in the first couple of games that he's been out there. And then on top of that, you're still getting the production that you're getting from your top six, and you're putting Taylor Hall on LTIR for Tyler Bertuzzi. And if he can even be half of what he was before all these injuries, who in the world wants to play Boston? Like, I didn't even want to play Boston beforehand. Now we're talking about adding three, four key pieces and deciding to go for it that this is the year. And this team is, they were scary already. I can't imagine any team in the East wanting to play this team in a seven-game series. It's music to my ears, let me tell you. It is. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, but the nerves are as high as ever because the expectations are as high as ever, too. That's the trade-off, right, is this team knows mm-hmm. kind of where they have to end up. I mean, anything short of that is a disappointment. The Buffalo Sabres, we'll move on to them. They were in one of those interesting positions of... 
Did you go out and make a big move and get a big addition? Do you maybe sell off a little bit? Just stand pat? Is that the best way to do it? Because you could make the playoffs as it is. Uh, Their moves, acquiring Riley Stillman from Vancouver for prospect Josh Bloom. Uh, They dealt the signing rights of goaltender Eric Portillo to the uh, LA Kings for a 2023 third rounder. They gave up Anders Bjork to Chicago for absolutely nothing. Swapped uh, Austin Strand for Chase Prisky with Anaheim. Uh, Gave up Rasmus Asplund for basically nothing. Seventh round pick in 2025 to Nashville. Their one big move, in a sense, was adding Jordan Greenway from Minnesota for a second round pick this year, which is actually Vegas's and their own fifth round pick in 2024. I don't know how to feel about the Buffalo Sabres and whether or not they kind of made the right choice or not. I mean, in terms of prospects, or I should say players to sell off, UFA is Kyle Pozo, Semgis Gergensen's, Vinny Hinestroza, Craig Anderson. You're not going to get much back even if you elect to sell. So maybe they did make the right choice and just like, all right, let's change a couple of things around, nothing too major, and see where we end up. So I have them closer towards a passing grade, but maybe in between passing and not quite sure. Throw it over to Mr. Webster. I love the Greenway trade. I think that's a guy they absolutely needed in their bottom six. Um because for all this, for all the skill they have, they don't have, I think, that one guy that can throw a shoulder, throw an elbow, and be an intimidating presence. Jordan Greenway is that, so I like that. I, I don't know. I was in the, I was in, probably in the minority that Buffalo should have tried to address goalie. Like I feel like going after a goalie, whether it be a starting caliber goalie. Or maybe you go all in and get like a franchise. The the one pipe dream I kept throwing out was John Gibson. And the more I kept thinking about it, I don't know ultimately if this is the time for Buffalo to make a big move because you don't know if you're actually going to make the playoffs. If you make the playoffs this year, you're playing with house money and you're looking good. As far as going forward, they're probably going to need to see what they have as far as Uko Pekalukunen and whoever else they want to put in net. But I thought if they were going to make a big move, uh, I thought goalie would have been one way they would have addressed it. They really wanted to go for it. But it seems like they want to stand pat, add some physicality uh, in their bottom six. And so far, they're still in the playoff hunt. So I guess I, I'd call it a passing grade. I think, too, Endo, before we get your thoughts, just the idea of... You know, you're not going to be able to out tank a lot of who's out there already. So why strip away? You still have your own first rounder. If it's a mid, then it's fine. It's probably not likely to be very early. Endo, Buffalo, any thoughts? Uh, pretty decent. Like, I don't think they did too. I think too crazy in terms of uh, changing things up. Like you said, not going to be exactly like a top five team. Maybe like a top 10, 15. Like they could. Hell, they could probably try and squeak in for playoffs of all things, too. But I highly doubt that. Just good middle of the pack uh, way they have going through. And uh, I think they didn't really have to change anything out there, too. So pretty decent. We'll head west 
with the Calgary Flames, and this might be uh, this might be the first negative review here. Two deals, both of them on deadline day, uh, flipping Razim Zahorna to Toronto for Dryden Hunt, and then the previously mentioned Richie for Richie trade. I don't know who exactly they would have sold because pretty much all of their players that they could have sold would be guys who are UFAs next year. Elias Lindholm, Tyler Toffoli, uh, Noah Hannafin in that conversation as well. At the same time, they are on the outside looking in. They're kind of that last team in the West that might be able to push for a playoff spot, right? Because right now the wild card is Edmonton on 74, Winnipeg on 72, and then Calgary on 67. You have Nashville below Calgary with games in hand, but Nashville obviously elected to sell off a little bit. We'll talk about that. And then it's a golf. I mean, they're eight points up on St. Louis. I don't really envision St. Louis making up that ground. So for Calgary, you kind of had the choice. You could buy to increase your playoff odds. You could sell because can you really compete with the likes of Seattle, Edmonton, Winnipeg for those you know final two playoff spots? Or you could just kind of do what you did and just stay there after making some big moves in the offseason. Kadri, Huberdo. I got to be honest, I I don't know if I label it an outright failure, but I can't trend. Maybe it's in the middle between okay and, and a failure of a window here. I can't let it drift positively because just having no follow-up to those big off-season moves where it was kind of your statement of like, hey, we're going to keep going for it. We're going to move on from Matthew Kachuk, but we're still competitive. Bringing in no reinforcements when it's been a rough season, I I just can't you know, label this in a positive light. Danny, what do you think? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. I think when you look at Calgary, I think the one thing is what could they have really added or what could they have added that wouldn't have continued to tear down from what they did? What, if they want to contend for a playoff spot, which I think they should ultimately do because – of who they got in the offseason, you should try and go all in with the re- with the guys that you got. Then I think that you should have tried to maybe go for another forward, maybe another top nine guy that can give you some sort of scoring touch there. But the biggest thing with Calgary is just they've gotten abysmal goaltending from Jacob Markstrom for most of the year, and there's really no way to fix that because – your personnel is seemingly fine. You've got a really good top four defenseman in Mackenzie Weger, who has started to come along over the last month and a half. So I, I don't know. I, I think it it's so weird because I'm I'm right there. I think it's more of an incomplete because who knows if they're even going to be able to make the playoffs. And if you don't, it's going to be labeled as a failure for the way that they were able to recover after losing Gaudreau and Kachuk. So yeah, I, I'm right there with you. I think it's more incomplete more teetering on the side of fail i think is probably what i would think endo any disagreement not at all you guys just summed it up perfectly i don't really see them doing much and they really do much at all like yeah really we'll moot. move back we'll move back east then carolina two moves one yes he pulled from edmonton for prospect patrick pistola and the previously mentioned Shane Gostas Bear acquisition for a third round pick. Uh, 
you know, maybe not the biggest names in the world to make the most of the cap space that was available due to Max Pacioretty season pretty much coming to a close, uh, which is still just a shame uh, how that played out for him. Uh, but all in all, I, I label it as a passing grade there for Carolina. I still have some questions about their depth. Um, looking at their cap-friendly depth chart as of a couple hours ago, you know, third line, Martinuk, Jordan Stahl, Jesper Fast, that's okay. Fourth line, Stefan Nason, uh, who quietly has 27 points this season uh, with Paul Stashny, Derek Stepan. It's not bad. It's just in terms of being able to match lines with, again, the monsters you're going to have to go through in the Eastern Conference, Boston, Toronto, Tampa, throw the New York Rangers in there now. I'm not entirely sure, but that defense is hilarious. I mean, your top five defensemen are Shea, Burns, Slavin, Pesci, Gostas Bear, and then you have Jalen Chatfield in there, who hasn't been that bad. Um, yeah, it's it's a passing grade for Carolina as well. I think they did a pretty good job of trying to match up with what else was going on while, you know, maybe not overextending, and maybe that'll come back to haunt them, not overextending to try and add and match what else was going on in the East. Danny, any disagreement? No, I, I mean, obviously they wanted Timo Meyer, and if they would have landed him, obviously the, there'd be parties and rally right now. Um, Pugliardi is interesting because you look at their lineup and you wonder where he can slot in. I think possibly you move him to fourth line center and you move Paul Stasny to one of the wings and you could probably park him on the power play in the net front and, you know, just have that tall, lanky human being just put any rebound into the net as you possibly could. Um, just watching them live the other night. Um, my God, they're fast. That, that is a fast team. Um, in Vegas obviously adjusted very well as the game went on, but, watching that team go, it is so fun to watch. And I don't, and that's why I don't blame anybody for thinking that if there's any team to get your name for this, if there's any team that has a chance to knock off Boston, it might be that Carolina team just because they're so fast. They're so skilled. They're probably one of the, probably one of the top two or three deepest blue lines in the league. And it, they are just so fun to watch. If they added Meyer, it would have been ridiculously, uh, impossible to stop them, but you know I'll, I'll give them a passing grade for that. And getting Gossis Bear to that already insane defense is is a win in my book. I I tend to agree with you only because Carolina beat them last year, and I do think they could do it again. That's the problem with the Eastern Conference right now. It's tough to have an abundance of confidence. And to any disagreement about Carolina, I mean, again, as a Bruins fan, I'm I'm kind of scared of them, and I'm sure as a Leafs fan, the thought of oh, good. It, could it be Tampa? Could it, could it be Carolina eventually? Like, it's just, it's, it's a disaster. Yeah, it's not looking too good for the, the boys in blue this off, this uh, playoff. Oh boy, it never does. And this does not make it, a, does not make it any easier. We'll move on then to Chicago, who, aside from signing David Gust to a contract, uh, decided to. Dig, pick up dig, all dig 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 <laughs> decided to pick up all of the contracts uh they started off on the 22nd taking on Nikita Zaitsev's contract for Ottawa's second round pick this year and a fourth rounder in 2026 for 
future considerations. Uh, the previously mentioned Josiah Slave and Hunter Drew swap. Uh, they sent Jack Johnson back to Colorado uh, for Andreas Englund, so a nice little vacation to Chicago for the winter. They acquired Joey Anderson, Pavel Gogolev, a first-round pick in 2025 and a second-rounder in 2026 from Toronto for Jake McCabe, Sam Lafferty, and two fifth-rounders. They, of course, dealt Patrick Kane away from the New York Rangers. They ended up walking away from that deal uh, with the signing rights to Billy Sariarvi uh, from Arizona. They also acquired Andy Walensky from the Rangers, as well as a second-rounder this year and a fourth-rounder in 2025. They picked up Anders Bjork for nothing. They swapped Dylan Sakura from Axe Galad. They sent Anton Hadobin. Actually, they acquired Anton Hadobin. Uh, and a second-round pick in 2025 for Max Domi and Dylan Wells. And then acquired Austin Wagner for nothing from the LA Kings on deadline day. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> and they're not the only team <laughs> like this. Arizona was right in that conversation. Um, my goodness. Now, I will still have my critiques, obviously, for the uh, leadership of this organization. Uh, but in terms of the job Kyle Davidson has done, again, look at the Chicago cap-friendly page right now and look at the picks that they have in the first three rounds for the next three years. Holy hell. Uh, it is, it's a passing grade. And I mean, again, I think everyone knows, you know, like, okay, Patrick Kane, he only was going to go to one team. They did okay, given the circumstances. And really, in terms of anybody else, you could have moved. Uh, they moved Domi. They didn't move Athenasiu, uh, Jujarkara, Jared Tenorti. They didn't really have too much else to get rid of once it was announced that Jonathan Taves uh, was not going to be moved. So I do think they uh, absolutely get a passing grade here. And yeah, the rebuild is in full effect. Danny, your thoughts? Yeah, I just looked at their draft picks and not not as wild as Arizona, but that that is a lot of capital in the first two rounds that they got there. And I totally forgot that Brandon Hagel trade was a thing, so they got Tampa's mm. next two first round picks. Like that matters to Tampa Bay. <laughs> thirty two um, and thirty two. Yeah. yeah, pretty much. Uh, oh, and they have Toronto's in twenty twenty five for the McKay trade. Yep. So yeah, um, top ten protection. <laughs> there you go. Um, I mean, it, it's what Chicago had to do. I mean, the writing was on the wall. They they got their send-off moment with Patrick Kane on that run that he went on before he got traded. And, um, you know, it, it's what they had to do. Obviously, I think they probably would have liked to move Jonathan Taze as well, but obviously his health issues uh, put, a, put a damper on that. Um, Going to be really interesting to see what Chicago does. I mean, I think Domi overperformed greatly for them. I know we're going to talk about Dallas in a little bit, but Domi overperformed for them. Uh, just tread water and see what you can do in these final 20 games. And if it lands you where you hope you land in the draft lottery, then good for you. But at least it's all over. I, I think that's the one thing for Chicago is that at least it's over and they can move on. And I think that's a big thing for them. Endo, any disagreement? Not at all. You guys are nailing it like right in the head. I could just like lounge back and sleep, and you guys could point at me and say, hey, Endo, what do you think? And I'm just like, yep, good move. Great. Good idea. Perfect. That Dr. Pepper's going to keep you awake, though, man. Oh, I'm stuck. Hold on. Okay, I'm good. All right. <laughs> I was supposed to get a new chair today uh, from a sponsorship payment, but it hasn't come in yet. I'm looking at you, Raid. 
Um, and uh, yeah, I was going to get it before we were going to start going, and uh, I didn't get the payment come through, so I was yelling at a thing. Anyways, next team, the Colorado <laughs> Avalanche, who oh, aside yeah. from signing Keaton Middleton to an extension, uh, of course, again, like I said, flipped Shane Bowers to Boston, Jack Johnson, they reacquired. Uh, they also on deadline day flipped uh, Anton Bleed over to the Rangers for Gustav Riedel. Uh, basically, their only move was sending a second rounder in 2025 out to Washington for Lars Eller on 31% retained salary. Um, I'm still going to give this a passing grade, or at least in the middle between passing and, you know, uh, thumbs in the middle type of grade, because the big thing for the Avalanche is that they just haven't been healthy all season long. And that's the crucial aspect for them heading into the playoffs is it's just, can they finally get healthy this season? I mean, they still haven't had Gabriel Landeskog play a game yet uh, this season, but you know, McKinnon's missed time. Nachushkin's missed a lot of time. He's only played 31 games this year. Uh, You're hard pressed to look through that lineup and find somebody who hasn't missed at least a couple of games for the abs this season. Um, so yeah, passing grade. Any disagreement, Danny? Uh, not at all. And I love the Eller pickup for them because it seems like Colorado is always that one team that you can find a bottom six guy that perfectly fits with what they want to do. And I think Lars Eller absolutely does what Colorado wants to do. Um, it, it, I think I'm kind of shocked from Colorado in the standpoint of, and I think the Western Conference as a whole. We'll talk about it as we go on. No one really made the big splashy move in the West. And I would have thought maybe Colorado would have gotten into the into the game there. I think I I thought I heard something from one of the national guys that maybe they were in on Kane or they were uh they were in on one of the other big offensive guys that eventually got moved. Um but I I thought Colorado would have made a bit of a bigger splash, but I guess their trade deadline acquisitions are the rest of their roster who were injured. And you know, you're eventually going to get your captain back. It's going to be a little bit of an easier time. And I think getting Eller is good for your middle six, your middle six, your bottom six. So I, I'd call it a pass. Endo, any thoughts? And if not, it's all good. Thumb up. A thumbs up for Colorado. Yeah. Not a lot of moves uh, from just, again, the, the West Conference. So a lot of guys just kind of keeping what they have. And, you know, like you said, they grab the one pickup. I think that's the one thing that I'm noticing about the Western Conference. It's, there's not a lot of moves, but it's always just grabbing like that one extra guy or extra player to kind of round up your, your offense, your defense. We'll switch over to the Columbus Blue Jackets. A couple of deals for them. Uh, they sent the injured Gustav Nyquist over to Minnesota for a fifth round pick this year. This is Boston's, actually. Uh, they... Sent Jonas Corposalo and Vladislav Gavrikov to the LA Kings for club legend Jonathan Quick, a first rounder this year and a third rounder in 2024. Uh, there was, of course, them uh, acquiring John Gillies for Voracek's contract and a six from Arizona, and then flipping Jonathan Quick to the Vegas Golden Knights. The deal that uh, made me so glad. I asked you, Danny, the day before. <laughs> if you'd be on this show and then this deal happened and we get to talk about it here now uh, with Columbus acquiring uh, both Leafs and Bruins legend Michael Hutchinson and a seventh rounder. So for Columbus, uh, worst team in the league right now. So getting rid 
of Nyquist, you know, moving Jonathan quick, even if it's not for much, all pretty good decisions. The biggest thing for them was the Gavrikov trade. And we didn't really talk about it with Arizona all that much. And it was kind of by design. If it came up, cool. If it didn't, that's fine, too. Um, Is the idea of did certain teams hold on too long and price themselves out on certain assets? And I think the answer for both Chikrin, who everyone thought would get more based on how long the Coyotes had waited, and for Gavrikov, based off of what the Blue Jackets wanted, is by the end of it, they had to settle a little bit while teams like Boston went out and got Bobby Orloff, uh, while teams like Toronto went out and got Jake McCabe. Eventually, that market started to dwindle. So for Gavrikov, you get a first and a third. And again, for Jonathan Quick flipping him, it's Michael Hutchinson in the seventh. That is not a gigantic return by any stretch of the imagination. So I do think they were right to move on from Corpusalo, from Gavrikov, but I can't give them a passing grade. It's going to be an in-between for me uh, simply because I, I think they, they they kind of played themselves a little bit. Danny, mm-hmm. your thoughts? Yeah, I, I honestly thought they could have gotten more for Corpusalo. Um, he, he was playing like one of the best goalies in the league over the last month and a half. And if it weren't for the fact that he was on the worst team in the league. I think a lot of more, a lot more eyes would have been on that, but he go, he goes to a situation in LA where I think is going to be great for him. Um, you know, the, the whole Jonathan quick situation. Well, we'll talk about it later. Um, I love what Columbus has done from their social media standpoint of honoring Jonathan quick with all of these banners and all of these thank you photoshops of Jonathan Quick in a Columbus Blue Jacket sweater. I absolutely love it. Um, but I, Michael Hutchinson, I've gotten to talk to a lot over this year and really a, a great guy just looking to get an opportunity again. And I think in Columbus, he's going to get that opportunity. You know, obviously with Elvis Merzlikens, it's his net. So it's not like there's going to be any competition. And John Gillies has played in some NHL games. So it, it, it doesn't look like it's going to be another situation where Hutchinson plays, but at least he's going to get an opportunity. And I think that's good for him. I think that's good for his psyche. I think that's good for his overall mental health Um, because he he had the whole situation in the bubble with Colorado where he helped wield Colorado to a game seven against Dallas in the second round. And obviously uh, Yoel Kiviranta ended that, Um, but they get, they get off the, the board check contract. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm kind of in the middle of like pass and fail. Cause I think they, they did absolutely play themselves in the Gavrikov deal because I think Boston, I think they probably priced him more than what Boston would have priced him with. And of course, Boston went on to get a much better package to shore up their top four. So I, I'm definitely teetering on more of a fail just because I don't think they got enough value for Corpus Salo either. And the fact that they packaged him really kind of offsets that. And no, any thoughts on the blue jackets? Uh, yeah, I think mostly just regards the Hutchinson. Cause when he was playing with the Marlies, he was such a great guy. He always good. The thing is, he's a good locker room guy too. That's the one thing that everyone like loved about him. Apparently in Toronto was that he was like the, the one guy they could rely on in the 
locker room and have like the support on, but just on the ice, it just maybe it was just like a mental hurdle or something, or just not going the way he wanted to. So hopefully, with the end of the season here in Columbus, he can get some sort of bounce back or something. Because I feel bad for the guy. I think he is yeah, starting tonight, based on the yeah. Blue Jackets uh, Twitter account too. So to to kind of bounce off what Endo was saying to kind of further Hutchinson. He was in line to get a lot of run in Henderson with the Silver Knights. That mm-hmm. that was the plan. And then Laurent Persuas came to Henderson with uh, his hip surgery and his conditioning assignment. And it kind of pushed Hutchinson out. And it made a two-guy tandem, two, two tandem of Yuri Patera and Laurent Persuas. From the people that I talked to in Henderson, Michael Hutchinson was the happiest guy in the locker room every time. Because no matter the situation, whether he was starting, whether he was on the bench, or whether he was the third goalie, he always came to the rink with a positive attitude. And I think for a locker room like Columbus that definitely went all in in the summer and getting Gaudreau and the expectations not being where they want to be, I think it helps having a guy like that in the locker room. So I think that is beneficial. Agreed. We'll move on to the Dallas Stars. couple of moves for them. Uh, sending Dennis Gurion off to Montreal for Evgeny Dodonov on 50% retained. The previously mentioned Hadobin Domi trade. And then today on deadline day, a minor deal. Sending Jacob Peterson to San Jose for Scott Reedy. So, yeah, their big move. Uh, bringing in Max Domi and Evgeny Dodonov to get that little bit of extra forward depth. And again, for that reason, I I have to trend towards a passing grade for Dallas. You could argue if, you know, another defensive addition would have been better. I don't know for sure. Uh, Stars fans will let us know. But four hours ago, their cap friendly had their first pairing as Miro Haskinen and Joel Hanley uh, with Colin Miller as a healthy scratch. That is a choice, uh, certainly. So I'm a little bit surprised they didn't elect to look to add defensively. But offensively, you know, they brought in Mason Marchment this year. And then you get the addition of the Donoff and Domi into the mix. I do like their forward core a lot. And obviously you have freaking Jason Robertson leading the way in that regard. Um, So, again, trending towards a a full thumbs up for me. But I look at that defensive side of things and maybe they're going to regret not making an addition there. But all in all, not too bad for Dallas. Danny, your thoughts? Uh, The Domi acquisition is a Pete DeBoer acquisition and he is going to love that man. He is going to love Max Domi being an absolute nuisance. And that's what Dallas I think needed with, with the, with the resurrection of Ben and Sagan. And then you have Robertson doing what he's doing and you have the emergence of Wyatt Johnston right now. You needed, you needed some grit. You needed some, some, uh, some shit stirring. Uh, on that team. And I think Max Domi fits that bill perfectly. Um, for the Stars' sake, I am glad that they found out that uh, Evgeny Dodonov did not have them on their no trade list so we could avoid a kerfuffle from last year. That's a very good sign. Because <laughs> um, um, God help Pete DeBoer if he's got to go through that again like he did last year. Um, but yeah, Dallas, they, they got some necessary upgrades. Defense, definitely a big question because Ryan Suter, from what I've read, has not had the best year. Uh, definitely not where he used to be, for sure. Um, so that's, that's a big problem they're going to have to figure out. But 
up front, getting Domi, getting to Donov, um, big pass for me, big passing grade for me. Endo, any thoughts on Dallas? Big move. Uh, definitely something they needed. I think uh, Max is going to be a lot more physical than he was over in uh, in Chicago, especially because now you're in like a, a playoff contending team. Uh, you have the ability to just punch the lights out as much as you want and know that, you know, you're not going to basically playing for nothing. We'll move on to the Detroit Red Wings, who have had an interesting couple of days. They re-signed Jake Wallman to, frankly, a very, very good contract. They kept Captain Dylan Larkin around. Eight-year deal uh, with an $8.7 million cap hit. I also don't hate it. And then we get to some trades. Now, this first one might be more weird for Vancouver, but Philip Ronick and a fourth to the Canucks for a first rounder that was originally the Islanders and a second rounder as well. They then send Tyler Bertuzzi to Boston, which we already talked about. And they move on from Jakob Verana, uh, sending him to St. Louis for Dylan McLaughlin in a seventh in 2025. So really just cutting ties, at least 50% of that salary. And then they acquired Oscar Sunkvist for a fourth. I'm not, I'm not doubting the Iser plan in a sense, but this is a weird one. Uh, for me, you know, they are still within five points with three games at hand of that second wild card spot in the Eastern Conference. So selling, buying kind of in a similar spot to Buffalo, keeping Jake Wallman, keeping Dylan Larkin, good moves for the future. But you clearly sell a little bit by getting rid of Philip Ronick, who has one year left on his deal and is playing the best hockey of his career. That's kind of you saying you don't believe he's going to be able to sustain that level of play. You get rid of Tyler Bertuzzi, get rid of Jakob Verana, but then you bring in Oscar Sunkfist, and there was the big rumor of the day, uh, Elliot Friedman saying, I'm hearing JVR to Detroit, Yeah. and then a few minutes later, that deal was off with people believing there might have been a third team involved, uh, that they just couldn't put the pieces together there. So I'm somewhere in the middle for Detroit. On this one, I think, you know, you bring in two first round picks for Bertuzzi and Ronick. That's certainly not that bad, but I don't know. There was kind of that weird element of they sold, but they didn't totally sell. But then again, you can't really fault them for that either. You can see where that would make sense. It's somewhere in the middle for me with Detroit, because I just think it was a really weird couple of days, Danny. Yeah, I. Two losses to Ottawa apparently shifted the whole focus because depending on how those would have gone, who knows where Detroit would have been in the standings. Yeah, the, J- the JVR thing, when that came through, that was very interesting to me because it's like you commit to selling for two days and then at the last possible minute, you're like, oh, yeah, let's go ahead and add JVR uh, to kind of make amends for Dylan Larkin crying at the podium because they traded away Tyler Bertuzzi. So. That was a very weird thing for me. I don't know what's going on in Detroit. I would like to think that they're going to ride with who they've got. But then I don't feel like they're riding with who they got because they've gotten rid of who they got rid of. So it's very weird for me. I I would consider this probably a fail. I'd go fail. 
Endo, your thoughts on the Iser plan? Uh, I think I don't know because I don't know if like I don't know if they're gonna make the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, it's, if you had to bet, I mean, again, they they have three games at hand, but are five points back of the Islanders. Washington's ahead of them, who sold. Florida, who we'll talk about in a minute, did fuck all. Yeah, uh, Buffalo kind of added. Ottawa definitely added. Uh, as did the Islanders, and of course the Penguins made some interesting moves that I'm excited to talk about. So, yeah, they have a good amount of competition ahead of them if they were to try to push for one of those two spots. Yeah, I just don't know if they're going to be able to like get in that spot. I mean, do you want to like buy in? Is this where we start up the um, the annual tradition of them making the playoffs and starting a brand new streak? Um, because like if that JVR deal went through, that's a sign that they would have they'd start up a streak again. But I don't know how it is. Another thing that really made me upset are people on social media being social media. It's like, oh, Dylan Larkin's crying about his his like best friend leaving the team and everything. It's like you just got paid like a whole bunch of millions and a signing bonus for whatever. It's like that's still his friend, dude. Like you may not you may hate Tyler Bertuzzi because of, you know, pretty valid reasons. Uh, but at the same time, let a dude be emotional that his one of his closest pals in the team is gonna go somewhere else. Like, you know, it's it's camaraderie. It's another thing that affects other team. We'll talk about the Leafs later, about their moves. But yeah, if this pays off for Detroit, that's great. And they get in and you can see a little bit of playoff action. I don't expect them to really go far. But if they get a little taste of the postseason, that'd be nice for their development, I think. I think you can sum that up as uh, people are dicks. Yeah, Probably people are the dicks. The Edmonton Oilers are the next team that we'll shift our focus to. Three trades to talk about. We already mentioned them finally cutting ties with Yessi Pugliarvi. They also acquired in one of the weirdest trades, uh, Matthias Ekholm on four per- uh, 4% retained salary and a sixth rounder in 2024 from Nashville for Tyson Berry, Reed Schaefer, who was a first round pick not all that long ago, yeah. Uh, Edmonton's first round pick this year and their fourth round pick next year. And then the Oilers also, as mentioned, acquired Nick Bjugstad. I have to label this as, again, trending towards a, a positive kind of result here. I think Nick Bjugstad is a, I mean, Nick Bjugstad on 450 grand. Uh, you're not going to find, I mean, <laughs> if you want to talk about best value for money, uh, he he's up there with Connor McDavid in terms of value for money, uh, just because you are paying him technically lower than you are supposed to be able to pay somebody. Didn't really know you could do that, but here we are. Um, and then the Ekholm deal, you know, he hasn't quite been at the same heights as he has been previously. You could argue, well, Nashville hasn't been as good, uh, but stylistically, he is a much better fit for what the Oilers needed right now than Tyson Berry is. But based off of some of those other deals, the Gavrikov deal, Barry Schaefer and a first to get Eckholm, it just feels like, did you have to give up that much? Like, yes, Eckholm has the contract still, but I'm a little bit surprised that that was the price they had to pay and that they couldn't maybe look to do maybe one other thing. But maybe that's just me saying or thinking Edmonton, please be going for it. And maybe this is them actually finally truly going for it with McDavid on the team. But, you know, I look at, say, 
their bottom six, for example, and boy, I think they could have used an extra boost. I mean, their bottom six right now is Fogel, McLeod, Yanmark, and then Costin Shore and Derek Ryan. It's not bad. Uh, it might be good enough to get through the Western Conference, but boy, if they had to play an Eastern Conference team in the playoffs, I wouldn't like the matchups as much. Yeah. Throw it over <laughs> to Danny again. Why not? That's our <laughs> format. Danny, just take it away when I shut up. It'll be fine. All right. Sounds good. Uh, so I, you brought up the point of the Gavrikov deal. Could Edmonton have gotten Chikrin without throwing in Tyson Berry? I mean, like knowing what we think? know now. Like I mean, so me, what was a first, a second, and another second for Chickering? Something like that. Like, huh. I feel like Edmonton should have struck while the iron was hot with that one. I have no idea why in the world they did that. I'm not saying this is no slander on Matias Ekholm. I think he is a great fit for what they want to do. But you also take away a big component of your power play in Tyson Berry, and they. They hope that Evan Bouchard can be that guy, that quarterback on the power play. But could you have gotten Jacob Chikrin without moving Tyson Berry? Apparently, the answer is sort of yes, based on the return that Arizona got for Chikrin. So I don't know. I, I do like the Ekholm trade. I just feel like knowing what Chikrin gave uh, Arizona, I don't know. That that's a, That's a weird little fine line for me. Endo, any thoughts on the Edmonton Oilers? You got to do something to keep uh, Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl in that city because their contracts are done in two and three years, respectively. McDavid's done in 2026. Um, what's it? Uh, Draisaitl's done in 2025. This is like the year you have to let them know, like, hey, you you have like the lead, like you led the playoffs in scoring. Last season, after getting bounced in what the second round or something like that, and you still led the playoffs in scoring to like the final, like mm-hmm. he, he, you got to throw them a boat and some support there. And I love the initial thing of you know we have a trade uh, deadline acquisition. It's it's a Vander Kane. It's like that that doesn't really help out your situation. Mm-hmm. Like sure, Vander Kane being back helps a little bit more, but you gotta. You got to do what all the other teams are doing in sense of buying in and getting support there. I mean, it doesn't help that, like, you know, they beat the living crap out of the Leafs uh, immediately after they had some of those big acquisitions the other night. But at the same time, you, you got to give them more support. We'll see how this goes from the playoff time, see if they can actually get something together. The Florida Panthers did absolutely <laughs> nothing. Zilch. They signed two goalies, J.F. Barube and Evan Fitzpatrick, to minimum contracts. Golden Knights expansion draft legend, J.F. Barube. (laughs) They have not made a trade since December 19th. They did absolutely nothing. Um, They are currently four points out of the uh, second wildcard spot with a game at hand after undergoing that major change of bringing in Matthew Kachuk. From Calgary, in terms of assets, um, they have already burned all three of their next first round picks. They do have a second this year and a second in 2025. So you could argue how much more 
did they have to work with? And yeah, you could certainly make that argument. Um, you know, defensively, they're still, you know, rolling with uh, with the Mark Stalls and Josh Mahoras of the world. And I don't know, maybe it was a matter of they would have liked to have done something, but the only way to really do it uh, would have been certain prospects that maybe they didn't necessarily want to give up. I, I don't know. I don't know, Danny. I mean, again, I, I can kind of see why they wouldn't have done much, but given what a rough season it's been for them, like, can you really just say like, oh, it's fine. Like we don't need to add because <laughs> if we just wait it out and the team gets healthy, the chemistry is there. We'll be okay. I, I don't know what to make of the Panthers, but it's, it's not a real positive outlook. Yeah, that's another team that I feel like should have tried to make a move to at least improve the situation, whether it be backup goalie, uh, because we don't know the situation with Spencer Knight going forward, so that's obviously a huge blow. And But Brobski, you flip a coin and you can figure out what you get from him that night. So th- there's there's just a lot of uncertainty right now with the Panthers. I mean, the good thing is, is they got Kachuk playing at an elite level still, so that's good. Um, but I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's a Paul Maurice problem. I don't know if it's just an overall personnel problem, but they went all for it last year, uh, when they got Claude Giroux and clearly showed you need more than Claude Giroux to beat the Tampa Bay Lightning. And I, I don't know right now what more you can possibly add to say that this team is capable of beating the Tampa Bay Lightning in a seven-game series. So I'm, I'm right there with you. I, I have no idea what to make of the Panthers. Yeah, I mean, do you do you side on you know, do you decide in their favor of beating Boston? No, mm-hmm. Toronto, Tampa. Even if they ended up on the Metro side of the bracket, Carolina, New Jersey, New York. It's they're uh, not suited. That that Kachuk trade, man, that's that's gonna go down as one to remember in in the short term. I mean, well, Matthew Kachuk is leading this team with seventy nine points in sixty games. Just the the dynamic changes it caused to both Florida and Calgary. It's not looking too good, at least in the short We've term. Seen a trade where two superstars get traded, and neither team comes out a winner. I mean, there's a chance in the aftermath of this deal that neither of these teams are going to make the playoffs in the the following season, yeah. which is just insane. It's insane. Endo, any any thoughts on uh, Florida? Should we move on? Um, I feel bad for uh, Spencer Knight. Mm. Uh, he's had a rough season so far. Uh, there's actually a video that uh, went up on Twitter of him playing a little golf or whatever on the. Uh, on this. I'm not sure if you saw this when you were in Finland, but I, it was. Yeah, I, I did see that. I just viewed it as more as like that was a guy fooling around. I he was fucking really around. To, yeah, people and, were trying to like amateur psychologist that to be dude, like, see, look at look at how unfocused he was, and it's like that's that's Twitter. That's dude, fine. he's playing a little putt putt with the line over there, and people are also saying, oh, he's trying to test see how slippery the ice is in terms of the boards and all that. It's like it's ice. It's ice. <laughs> The professional hockey players, they know how ice is going to feel. I know certain, like, rinks as someone who's played in, like, at least 100 rinks in the city of Toronto, in the greater Toronto area. Every ice kind of feels a little bit different in terms of, like, quality and all that. But it's it's fucking ice, dude. 
Like he's just he's just messing around, having a little fun. Don't don't armchair psychologist on this shit. Like that that adds even more to the fuel of the fire of all that. Just let the guy get his stuff. Let the guy figure out whatever he's got going on with him. I wish him the best. He probably won't hear this at all, but I wish him the best for everything because it's not it's it's a scary situation to have to possibly go down that whatever route he's going in right now. So hopefully he gets some recovery and is a little bit better and comes back a lot stronger. The Los Angeles Kings. Uh, I'll throw in the the Mikey Anderson extension. Uh, eight years at four point one two five million. That's continuing a trend of certain players getting eight year deals that you maybe don't necessarily expect. Uh, in terms of their moves, nothing too crazy. I mean, the Jonathan Quick trade, picking up a first. I mean, or uh, Jonathan Quick and giving up a first to get Corpusalo and Gavrikov was the real highlight. Uh, also, again, acquiring the signing rights to Eric Portillo. And then today on deadline day, three moves. Uh, they acquired Zach McEwen from Philadelphia for Brendan Lemieux and a fifth rounder in 2024. And then a swap of Nate Schnarr for Freddie Allard and Austin Wagner for nothing. So their big deal, uh, moving on from Jonathan Quick, uh, picking up Corpusalo, who has been a better goalie on a worse team than Quick has been this year. Getting Gavrikov for not all that much. I do uh, find the Brendan Lemieux swap interesting as well. It's, I mean, it's kind of like enforcer for enforcer, basically. You don't see that too often nowadays. Um, given that they are second in the Pacific right now, only behind the Vegas Golden Knights, I can't give it a negative grade, but I don't know if I can give it an outright positive. But they did improve their goaltending and got another big defensive piece that they really, really needed. But I don't know. Maybe there's just something about this team. Maybe it's because of just the amount of young talent that they have on the squad, particularly at forward, where I'm just, I'm not sure. But again, like your goaltending is Jonas Corposalo and Phoenix Copley. I need to be a bit more convinced that you're going to be able to get past, say, that even the first round in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, that's another team where I'm like, what happened with Chikrin? Like, I, I, I don't know if we're ever going to get the 30 for 30 on the Jacob Chikrin. So I, I would love to watch it. I would love to listen to it. But it was two days before Chikrin got moved. Oh, the Kings have a substantial offer, and Brant Clark is part of the package. Mm. Well, then what in the world happened? Like, what, what happened from that time to Ottawa just sending out a simple tweet that says, Hey, welcome to Ottawa, Jacob Chikrin. I, I don't really understand. Now, granted, they did improve their goaltending. And if you can get Yunus Corposalo into the playoffs, we've seen what he can do in the playoffs before. Sorry, Endo. Uh, but I, it, it, it's, it's fine. You add a solid defenseman in Gavrikov. You get a goalie that you have as starter material that at least – ensures that you don't have to ride Phoenix Copley into the playoffs. So not bad. But again, what in the world happened with the Kings and Jacob Chikrin? That's that's my biggest question. Like how did how did they not land him? How did these teams not land Jacob Chikrin? That's that's what I, I want to know. I have a general idea. Uh you know, you're the NHL insider kind of, but I'm just a random schmuck on the street. But at the same time, I think what happened is Arizona wanted a lot more 
than what teams were giving were willing to give up. They they had a lot of stuff to give up, but Arizona wanted more. And then teams were kind of like, you're asking for a lot too much. I'm out. I'm out. And then Ottawa was just like, hey, I'm here. I'm here. And then it's kind of happened. That's that's what it feels like. It feels like a lot of teams are kind of like, okay, cool. And Arizona is like, all right, we have this great thing. He's been on the block for 18 months. He's like that. He's there. He's ready to go whenever. And 18 months for basically pennies in a way. Yeah. That, that, and that's the thing. It's like, you look at what the Kings, the Kings have stockpiled their prospect pool for this very reason. Like they have Quinn Byfield, they have Brant Clark, they have all these really talented players in the system ready to go whenever they feel like making a deal. And it seemed like this was the time. I mean, a package involving maybe a first and a second for Brant Clark, I feel like would sell me. So maybe it's Bill Armstrong going off the deep end. I don't know. But yeah, I I, I don't know how you go from Chikrin to Gavrikov in that short of time, but if it costs you a first and a third to get a goalie that might save you in the playoffs, then I guess that's not a bad thing. Exactly. Interesting time for LA. And an interesting time for the Minnesota Wild, who in terms of their acquisitions, I mean they were they were a part of quite a bit, really dating back. I mean, I think we can include this, you know, being the facilitator for the Ryan O'Reilly trade over to the Toronto Maple Leafs. They took on a fourth-round pick in 2025 for that. They helped the Dmitry Orloff trade happen as well. They picked up a fifth-rounder this year to make that happen. Uh, They then spent a third-rounder in 2024 to acquire Marcus Johansson from Washington, fifth-rounder this year to get Gustav Nyquist from Columbus. They then dealt Jordan Greenway to Buffalo, but they got a second and a fifth back acquired Oscar Sunkvist for a fourth round pick this year, and then John Klingberg, as we mentioned. So I got to be honest, I think when Bill Guerin and you know the Wild kind of started this deadline, it was like, oh, they're taking on salary and three team trades for low picks. That's weird. What are they doing? But getting Johansson, getting Nyquist, getting Sunkvist and Klingberg, that's a decent little haul to really kind of bolster up the overall depth of this team. So again, I don't know if I'm going full thumbs up on this trade, but it's it's a pretty positive kind of trade deadline for the Minnesota Wild. I don't mind it at all. No, I, I, I think uh, the Minnesota Swedes um, are looking very, very good after uh, this deadline. Um Klingberg helps them a ton in terms of power play because I think right now Kalen Addison is running first power play from the defense. So you get a guy in John Klingberg who is still trying to essentially get himself in a good position to get a good contract next year. Um, Now he goes to a team that is more than likely going to make the playoffs depending on how the situation in the Central unfolds. And now you're a little bit more motivated to play well in the second in these last 20 or so games and possibly work your way to a new contract. So a a motivated John Klingberg, I think, is good for them. And I think them addressing their forward depth the way that they have. uh, Hopefully Nyquist gets healthy and that he can contribute to that team. Um, But, yeah, I think I think overall good job for Minnesota. They did exactly what they needed to do. They played broker and it worked Got a couple of picks and they got some immediate help. 
No, any disagreement? Not at all. Uh, absolute pass. Uh, great work from them. That just again, like you said, have but let deals happen. Get a little bit of comeuppance as, as well too. And uh, yeah, even I think the best part about that is they did so well the trade uh, trade situation that they were able to get Ryan Reeves in the back of it, getting his puck in the back of the net for them too. So that's the, that, that's the highlight of it. Just him playing baseball, warming up for uh, spring training. They're just batting it in off the rebound. The Montreal Canadiens did not do a whole heck of a lot. Again, we mentioned acquiring Guriana from Dallas, the schnar for a large swap. Uh, and then today uh, took on salary for Nick Benino, acquired Tony Sund, who's a mid-20s depth defenseman at best. Uh, basically, they acquired a fifth-round pick in 2024 from the Sharks to help make the Benino trade happen. So, yeah, they didn't. They didn't really do much. Um, yeah, I mean, Monahan's injured, so that kind of took away maybe a, a piece. Joel Edmondson's name was out there a lot. He has a year left on his deal. They didn't move him. Uh, Mike Hoffman's name was out there with a year left at four and a half million. They did not move him. Uh, Josh Anderson's name will never go away from being a trade at, you know, fate piece for whatever reason. They didn't trade him. Uh yeah, it's it's probably a thumbs down, maybe in between, but for the most part, it's it's kind of surprising they at least didn't find a way to get something for Joel Edmondson, who's not going to be a long term piece for them. So, uh, yeah, just a, a bit of a weird window for Montreal. Yeah, I I don't really see, I didn't really see any path unless they wanted to go full on sell, but. They're having such a, a, not a great season, but a decently solid season in Marty St. Louis' what, second season now. So uh, yeah. they're, they're in the process of, do we want to sell completely or do we want to try and believe in the guys that we have here, even though we're likely not going to make the playoffs? And I don't know if that's, I don't know if selling so much is a good sign for, say, like your captain, Nick Suzuki or any of the other young guys that you have there. Cole Caulfield's obviously out for the rest of the year, so it's not like you were really missing anything with his absence. So I'm kind of surprised they didn't move off the money because I think they have like the second highest payroll now and then not factoring LTIR. So yeah, I I would say barely disappointing, but not shocked, I think is the best way to sum up what Montreal did. No disagreement from Endo Mills, I'm presuming. Yeah. Uh no. I don't think they need to rock the boat at all. Um they have a their core is like riddled with injuries, everyone's hurt. Uh I think this is definitely not like a rebuilding year, but it's like a not even like a retooling year. It's just kind of building up the confidence and giving guys more NHL experience. Especially with having I don't know, like pretty decent depth, but not like contending depth. Just uh, you know, give everyone a chance to get some experience out there while still you know, getting a possibility at a decent take in the next draft. The Nashville Predators, aside from uh, extending Dante Faber today, one year deal, two and a half million, uh, they elected, despite, like I said, being in striking distance of maybe a wild card spot, they elected to uh, take on a whole lot of draft picks, is what they elected to do. Uh, they acquired a second round pick next year for Nino Niederreiter. 
I'm going to save one trade here. They got Isaac Ratcliffe from Philadelphia for nothing. Austin Ruschoff from the Rangers for nothing. The Ekholm deal, where again, they take home Barry Schaefer, a first and a fourth. They acquired a second round pick this year from Pittsburgh from Mikhail Granlund. Acquired Rasmus Osplin for a seventh in 2025 from Buffalo. And oh yeah, sent Tanner Janot to the Tampa Bay Lightning for... <clears throat> <laughs> okay deep breath now foot a third round pick this year a fourth round pick this year a fifth round pick this year a second round pick next year and a first round pick in 2025 that is top 10 protected holy mother of god uh gigantic thumbs up for nashville congratulations uh it was announced of course that david poyle is going to retire, and the fairy trots <laughs> is uh, taking over for him. His, his party present. Yeah. Holy shit! Like some people, you retire, you, you get a watch. Like no, he he gave Barry Trotz a watch, a house, a new car. Like you look at the his firstborn son. Like Jesus, just, yeah, amazing work. I said on Twitter that uh, he used all his um his GM magic powers and was too exhausted. He went on cooldown, so he quit. He used yeah. all four blackberries <laughs> at this deadline. Um, oh God. He's four. You get three. <laughs> yeah, he he's he earned a fourth over his tenure. Game um, shark. Yeah, David Poyle <laughs> has been with the Nashville Predators as their GM for twenty five years. Literally day one. We do not talk about that enough. That is insanity you just do not see this in professional sports anymore and the fact that he was able to and say what you want like hey tampa's the one that offered i'm sure but whatever you look at their yeah their cap friendly draft pick list it's insane like barry trotz is 100 being set up for success this summer uh credit to nashville gigantic gigantic thumbs up one of the uh, winningest teams of this deadline no doubt they have multiple picks through the first five rounds mm -hmm. they have 13 total this draft three in the third round four in the third or three in the fourth round like david david poyle i think literally woke up during the week of the trade deadline and said let me see how much violence I can incite before I walk myself out the door. And yeah, 13 picks this year. Uh, Nashville was weird because, again, they were a team that's close to being on the outs of the playoff picture. And I guess you were wondering, I guess a lot of people were wondering, were they really going to sell? And sell, they absolutely did uh, for everyone not named Soros and Forsberg and, and Yossi. Um, so yeah, 13 picks this year, uh, I got four five, seven picks through four rounds next year. Barry Trotz is going to have fun with this. Anything to add and or did we cover it all for you this time? No, you guys, you guys nailed it right on the head. They're just great moves and execution. You know, now let's see what Trotz has up his sleeves. Uh, he's, he's got a big shoe to fill in with that big move right there. So Let's see what he has to do in the offseason.
Let's say I'm happy for Barry Trotz too. You know, there were a yeah. lot of questions of like, will he take a coaching job this year? He said no, and now he gets to go back to Nashville where he spent so many years, and I'm I'm happy for him. I'm also mm. happy for Devils fans because God oh, damn. Yeah. So obviously we don't have Sin on to talk about this trade. He will, I mean, you can read his thoughts on Twitter. Uh, the New Jersey Devils uh, today acquired Curtis Lazar from Vancouver nice. for a fourth round pick in 2024. And that's it. Very um, now, shout, shout out, by the way, to Curtis Lazar, who went home to BC and then got dealt six months later. I feel bad for him. Uh, he's a nice guy. Um, yeah, so the Devils acquire Scott Harrington, who they lost on waivers to Anaheim. I'm sure they're crying. <laughs> Uh, goaltender Zachary Immel, defender Santari Hataka, and forward Timor Abragamov, along with a fifth round pick in 2024, and some guy named Timo Meyer for Andreas Janssen, Fabian Zetterland, Nikita Ahatyuk, Shakir, and I have to say it, I, I don't know if this is actually the way that you say it, but it's how they pronounced it on draft night, so it will always be Shakir Mukamadulin every time. Let me see the uh, pronunciation on that. What's his name? A first here? round pick this year, a conditional second in 2024 that can become a first round pick if the Devils make the conference final in either of these two years or Meyer plays 50% of the games this year en route to that. Uh, and a seventh as well. Holy shit. Um, so, again, it's going to be tough to hold off from the Sharks perspective. Solely from New Jersey's perspective, they gave up a lot, and I do think they gave up a lot. Yes, you didn't have to give up. I don't think they were ever giving up Simon Nemich second overall this past year. They were never yeah. giving up Luke Hughes. I get if the you know the, the kind of point of contention is Dawson Mercer because he's been on fire lately. Um, so from the Devils' perspective, I do still think they gave up a lot. They didn't give up one of like their A grade pieces. But, again, it's a thumbs up from New Jersey's perspective regardless. You get Timo Meyer. We'll see what happens in the future. They don't have an extension for him right now. But, again, we've already talked about so many Eastern Conference teams. We haven't gotten to Toronto yet. And, yeah, they, they did what they had to do to take that big step forward. It's a, it's a massive W for New Jersey. Yeah, I'm kind of sad uh, with New Jersey in town tonight. Timo Meyer is not playing. And I'm, and I'm very sad to see how he works with that team. Um, you know, it, it's funny because Vegas was uh, up until the final moments of this trade, they were, they were still very much in on Timo Meyer after they traded for Ivan Barbashev. But the, the package that Vegas was trying to get was not going to be enough because of one being a division rival and two, uh, San Jose was just prepared to take every single like B B plus prospect that New Jersey had. So, uh, I did San Jose get the deal for, that they wanted? Probably, probably not, depending on how you look at it. Uh, but for New Jersey, you get a guy who's got 31 goals this year, you throw him in the top six, you might throw him on a line with Jack Hughes, which is absurd, and you. Basically, Tom Fitzgerald has said that in this one ridiculous year for the Devils, they're going all in, and we're going to ride this wave of weirdness that has been all year to hopefully getting ourselves into the picture of making to at least 
uh, conference final. So big win for the Devils. And no any differing thoughts? Not at all. Um, if they get the uh, Muhammad, was it Muhammad Aladulin? Yeah, Muhammad Aladulin. Muhammad Muhammad Aladulin. There you go, Muhammad Aladulin. I still prefer Mukamadulin uh, first. Mukamadulin. <laughs> I, I like yeah. Mukamadulin. Yeah. Yeah. Can just call him Shakir. Yeah, Shakir. Shakira, Shakira. Um, yeah, if he comes back to the, if he goes to the end, I think it'd be pretty sweet for him to have there. He's doing pretty well there in the uh, in the K. Uh, so the Fed's been developing pretty well there. But uh, yeah, just in general. Uh, wait, we're talking about the Devils. Yeah. Right. We're talking about the Devils. I was like, yeah, San Jose. Wait a second. Timeout. Ooh, it's been a, it's been a long two, hour and a half that we've been at this so far. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. So great work for uh, New Jersey Devils. I'll keep it short like that. They got Timo Meyer and they lost other things in the world in the way, but it's OK. It's fine. I'll take care of the New York Islanders signed uh, Tristan Lennox to his ELC um, and acquired Pierre Engvall from the Leafs for a third round pick in 2024. And that is it. This is the third season in a row that perennial GM of the year. uh, (laughs) I mean, oh, God, I, I. it's a meme that won't go away. But perennial GM of the year, Lula Amorello, has not made a deal on deadline day. Three years in a row. I don't think we can include the Bull Horvat trade that was on January 30th. Uh, <laughs> so Pierre Engvall is it for the Islanders, who are currently in the first or now, excuse me, they've actually dropped down to the second wildcard spot uh, in the Eastern Conference. Um, you could say they handled their business a little bit earlier, obviously. I don't think Pierre Engvall's a, a bad addition, necessarily. Um, I don't know. I don't know what to make of them. I still have the same kind of thought that that is a type of team, physical, defensively responsible, with, for my money, who is the number one goaltender in the NHL right now, Ilya Sorokin. I just think they can manage to kind of 2-1-3-2 their way to victories in the playoffs if they get there. Uh, it's just a matter of whether or not the Horvat deal earlier and then you know the extra addition of Pierre Engvall is kind of enough to do it. So I'm going to have them in the middle uh, for my ranking, Danny. Yeah, I was, and I could probably be wrong if I look at their cap-friendly situation, I would have thought they'd at least try and add one more forward with Barzal out for a while. Um, so their current cap space on cap friendly is listed at uh, $6.1 million. Nice. All right. So they probably should have added a forward in the event that their number one center is out for a while. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I think that Engvall does something for their, for their four checking in the bottom six. I think that's a decent addition, but yeah, I mean, if you're if you're New York, probably go out and get one more forward. I can understand that you probably exhausted all options in getting Bo Horvat, but depending on how long Barzell is going to be out for, you, I think you needed to get another forward, somebody who could score. Um, so yeah, I I I think I'm on I'm teetering on probably a fail for the Islanders. Yeah, if, gonna be, if you're a physical squad like New York Islanders are going to be, the last person you want to grab from the leaves of all people is Pierre Engvall. He does not use his body at all. I've seen Mitch Marner use his body more than Pierre Engvall does. So when people were saying, "Oh, he's like six foot five and like a like a big guy," no, he's he's like he's big, but he's lanky. 
he's like a guy who can skate in through like one zone of the ice in like three strides, which is like, which would be good if you're a smaller guy. But if you're a big guy like that, it's like you need to be a little bit faster than that. But I think it's going to be interesting to see how uh, he's used in their lineup. Um, Because, you know, it's going to be an interesting setup because over in Toronto, he wasn't that physical. In the Marlies, it wasn't that physical. Maybe they unlock a next level physicality and increases like his, his game and his like versatility because uh yeah Toronto Lee fans didn't like him. Lee fans loved him at the beginning, but then afterwards they didn't really like him because they figured, oh, he's this big giant guy, he's gonna throw the body more. And then he didn't really do that. And then they kind of expected a guy who's playing bottom six to put up top nine numbers. Yeah. Yeah, it's fair. I did see actually a lot of the like, oh Pierre Engvall, he's huge. It's like, yeah, but that doesn't mean that he hits it's like the spongebob meme where it's like how do we tell them (laughs) the new york rangers i won't include the tarasenko deal in their deadline moves i mean it was february 9th but uh since then tyler mott uh, for julian gotien a seventh from ottawa they ditched vitaly kravtsov sent him to vancouver for william lockwood and a seventh Uh, again austin rushoff for nothing but they acquire patrick kane uh, and a couple of other minor moves from there. So the big things, of course, I mean, it is Tarasenko. It is Patrick Kane. And to a lesser extent, Tyler Mott, who's hopefully okay. He took a headshot from Austin Watson last night. I was watching a bit of that game. Um, no suspension. No suspension, by the way, on that. Honestly, I don't think it needed it, though, <laughs> to be honest. But we that's a conversation for a, a normal show where we don't have a shitload of teams to talk about. Um Fair. For the Rangers, it's it's difficult to say it's not a pass when you add Vladimir Tarasenko and Patrick Kane. However, I am going to try to make an argument here. <laughs> Defensively. Now, you start off relatively strong. Adam Fox, Ryan Lindgren, Andre Miller, who is currently suspended, Jacob Truba, even. But then you're relying on Nico Mikola. Ben Harper and Braden Schneider to round out those last two spots. I don't know about that. That's that's my big thing for them. Like I look, for example, with the Bruins, it's tough to necessarily find like that huge weakness for them. For Carolina, I can question some forward depth a little bit, but for the most part, it's hardly an issue. With the Rangers, though, I can look at this lineup and say I am still not sold on this defense. And I I just wonder if it's going to come back to haunt them a little bit. I don't disagree. Like, their offensive firepower in that top six, I mean, right now it's listed as Kreider, Zabanajad, Tarasenko, Panarin, Trocek, and Patrick Kane. LOL. But they did play last night against Ottawa and well what happens in that game uh they lost five to three I I just can't help but think like it's it's towards it's it's in the middle of okay to good I just can't give it a full thumbs up because I I just couldn't be confident if I was a Rangers fan that that defense is going to be good enough against the buzzsaws of the Eastern Conference I will give last night a pass just because it was the second night of a back-to-back. And if I am looking correctly, 
Yaroslav Halak was in goal. So I'm not I'm not going to fully I'm not going to fully give that up. I'm not going to look at that entirely, especially after they beat Philadelphia the night before. Um, You're right. They do. They do have problems with defense. Um, But knowing Gerard Gallant, if he will ride four defensemen all the way through the playoffs, God willing, he might, because that is that that is who he is. He will try any and all tactics in any way possible to make something happen. Um, Tarasenko looks fantastic. And I think that's part of the reason why Rangers fans are excited because if you look at what Tarasenko's done since he's gotten to New York, combine that with what Patrick Kane did before he got traded, you're, you're feeling pretty good about what the prospects can be in the short term. Um, and if you have Igor continuing to play the way that he is, you're going to be a very tough team to beat. So, um, yeah, I, I like what the Rangers did. It's hard not to like what they did. Could they have added another defenseman? Probably. Um, but they're really high on Braden Schneider for the fact that he's still around. So um, I'll, I'll give the Rangers a, a big passing grade here. Endo, split the difference. What's the opinion? I like what they did. I like adding those firepower, those fire pieces right in front there. It, it makes them not only a scary team to play against in terms of having offensive production, but it also makes their NHL team and EA Sports NHL 23, when they eventually add the rosters, maybe like next week, fucking Sunday, uh, makes them very scary to play with as well, too. So it'll be very interesting to see how things go for the rest of the thing. But I, like you said, defensively um, might be an issue. But hey, if you, if you can outscore your team, if you can outscore the other team, it'll it'll be fine. Just look at uh, L.A. and Edmonton last season, the playoffs. It just... I don't score the the loving ever loving shit out of each other. I will I'll say it. It was fun hockey to watch. It was absolutely fucking terrifying if you're a goaltender. But you know, fair enough. The Ottawa Senators. Uh, the big move obviously is is acquiring Patrick Brown from Philadelphia for a sixth round pick this year. Uh, and then they also Former acquired some Knights guy named. Uh, yeah. There you go. <laughs> and then they also acquired some guy named uh, Jake Chikrin. Uh, yeah, it's a thumbs up from Ottawa to just swoop in mm-hmm. and be the ones to get Chikrin is is huge, right? Now, you know, defensively, you know, I, I still wonder at times, you know, when your top defensemen are guys like Shabbat and Chikrin, uh, but there's no doubt like that is that's another addition that they really needed. And now it's like, okay, top six, they have the skill, they have the grit and defensive options in the bottom six, the defense gets a bit bolstered. They still have to make up ground to make the playoffs to begin with, but it's very, very nice seeing ambition from the Ottawa Senators after uh, years of not. It's the best, <laughs> nicest way that I can put it. No, uh, good on Pierre Dorian for going all in this summer and then realizing we need to go all in again because this team should be good enough to make the playoffs. So, all the credit in the world to Pierre Dorian, words I thought I would never say. Um, I don't know how much longer they, that DJ Smith can have Jacob Chikrin on the third pair with Nick Holden, but that that's neither here nor there. Um, but you know what? They they did fairly well. They won the sweepstakes. They didn't give up a lot to get uh, Chikrin. And, you know, I, Ottawa's going for it. And when's the last time we ever said Ottawa is going for it? I think I think that's refreshing. I think the last time we heard that was before he said we're a team. 
<laughs> not wrong. Yes. They are a team. They are a team yeah. now. They always were. They just weren't that good. <laughs> were they a team or were they a mythical construct of our imagination? Let, let's let's have a frank conversation about this here. Legally defined um, as a sports organization. How about that? Legally you know defined. the funny yes. the funny thing is um there's another organization that's having conversations like this because they'd rather talk about anything else but the hockey that their team plays, and that oh. is the Philadelphia Flyers, who won this deadline by trading Isaac Ratcliffe for futures, swapping Zach McEwen for Brendan Lemieux, and trading Patrick Brown for a sixth, and that is fucking it. Oh my god. This is the worst run hockey team in the NHL right now. Easily. I do not understand. I'm sure he's a nice person. How the hell does Chuck Fletcher still have a job? You didn't manage to trade James Van Riemsdyk. You didn't manage to trade Justin Braun. What are you doing? You brought in Ristolainen. There was the Provorov rumors out there. He stayed to... Uh, this team is an unmitigated disaster, and it's tough to see it getting any better. Flyers fans, you know all of this, but hopefully it's somewhat cathartic uh, to know that other people realize just how bad of a situation you're in right now, because holy hell, it's a bad situation. You need to pour one out for Carter Hart, maybe pour two out, because that young man is going to be buried into the ice of the Wells Fargo Center at some point because this is... I, I don't know how this organization... I know it, I know COVID was, you know, 20 years ago, it seems like. They were in the second round of yep. the playoffs, were they not? And Carter Hart was standing on his head. There were good vibes in, in the bubble. You know, it seemed like that the Flyers were finally ready to take that spot and Sean Couturier obviously his injury has not helped and they move on from Claude Giroux just overall just bad 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 from the Flyers and there's no there's no way about it there, there's no there's no fix for this so God bless Philadelphia because oof. that about it Endo. <laughs> Yeah, sorry, I got distracted by uh, Casimir Kaskasuo getting upset and throwing a water bottle at a referee. That's a <laughs> sorry. heck of a thing to be distracted by. He, yeah, he five, it. yeah, five, oh. uh, five game suspension. He's out for the rest of the season and the first two games of the playoffs. Poor guy. Complete sidetrack. Just poor guy. He he's had so many things blocked up with him. He had the one call up with the Leafs. And it was the game where the Leafs basically gave Babcock his flowers and they lost that one six one. Then the then the bubble thing happens and he goes and plays for Nashville, gets like not even a game. Uh then he goes over to Lexans, plays good last year. I'm going to complete complete tangent right now. Guy another guy comes in, takes his takes his job, literally took my job. Yeah, uh, he has like 12 games played right now and he's got like a, like a plus three goals against like sub 900 save percentage not looking good for him i feel bad for him he look he well, was great as a marley in the and in the minors but just shit doesn't work out for him that's my boy okay my favorite guy to watch 
You wax well, pointedly about Krejci. I wax about Casimir Kas- Kaskasuo. Okay, <laughs> leave me alone. Speaking of uh, the expression "poor guy," um, poor Ron Hextall, who's about to be fired out of a cannon back to Philadelphia. <laughs> Maybe a big slingshot. Who's to say? Um, the Pittsburgh Penguins. Oh man, don't even get me started. Um, they sent were- Teddy Bluger. To the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, we'll talk more about that from the Vegas perspective soon. Uh, acquired Peter Delibertore in a third rounder. They acquired for a second round pick the $5 million <laughs> cap hit for two more years after this, Mikhail Granlins. They reacquired Nick Benino today on retained salary, and also uh, sent Brock McGinnon a third to Anaheim for Dimitri Bulikov. Hold on. What was his name? Deliberate what? Uh, Deliberatory. Deliberatory. Fair enough. <laughs> there you go. That? We've hit the comedy hour. Right <laughs> listen, listen, it's been an hour and 45 minutes. We haven't had a show this long. I need the. Cr- I'm cracking, oh, okay? My. I'm cracking. Oh, my Lord. Oh, I'm losing it. Well, for that reason, we could speed run if we need to. Um, I don't know. It's is there fine. Any, is there anything else to add from Pittsburgh other than just what the fuck are you doing? Our organization's just uh, looking n- terrible. Not, not really. I mean, Deliberatory is a, a nice prospect. Uh, showed some promise in development camp, showed some promise in training camp, but I don't think ever really got over the hump because Vegas's blue line for all the jokes of not having prospects is actually fairly somewhat deep enough uh, in Henderson. So not a bad prospect going there. Um, yeah, I, I, what, what the hell are the Penguins doing? I really don't know. Yeah. Not only that, just goalie troubles in their in their situation and all that. You got like one of my buddies actually plays for uh, for Wheeling. He's having one of the worst seasons like ever after going like pretty decently with uh, with Ohio State. Tommy, I'm throwing you under the fucking bus, buddy. I don't care. Um, just after playing one of the best seasons in Ohio State, Hawk and goaltending like like history. He's like going over there and it's just bad. It's Wheeling's not doing too good, and you have Wilkesbury dead last and. Yeah, their their whole situation is up shit's creek. You could you could say. Then also you have the Ohio thing and all that happening. The chemtrails in the water turning their prospects not too good. So the San Jose Sharks, <laughs> <laughs> aside from signing former Henderson Silver Knight uh, Derek Pouliot, uh, in terms hey. of their deals, yeah, Danny, did you miss the show? Did you miss it? <laughs> I did. <laughs> um, the Sharks acquired, as I mentioned, Harvard defenseman Henry, uh, Henry Thrun for a third-round pick. I really like that. He's fucking dominating at Harvard. Um, they sent Michael Asimont to Tampa for Vladislav Nemestnikov on 50%. Uh, they helped the Benino deal go through and acquired uh, a, an old man of 25 years old, a defender who plays in Sweden. Uh, a seventh and a fifth to get the Benino deal to go through. Then sent Nemestikov to Winnipeg today and acquired a fourth. And then again, the Reedy and Peterson swap. So the big thing for them is obviously the return on Timo Meyer. Andreas Janssen. Eh. We'll see what he has left. Fabian Sederland. Not a bad piece. Maybe kind of breaks through for them. He'll have more opportunity there. 
Nikita Hotyuk and Shakir Mukamadulin. Uh, Hotyuk was a second round pick in 2019. Not looking that bad. He's gotten 15 games with the Devils here and there. Uh, and Mukamadulin was, uh, what, 10th overall, I think? 19th? No, 20th. 20th overall. In between, yeah. kind of, uh, in 2020. So not too bad. And then again, extra picks. I really don't hate it for the Sharks because we just don't know yet. Okatyuk, uh, Mukamadulin could easily break through and be regulars in that lineup. And then who knows what those draft picks are going to be. I don't think it's as bad for San Jose as a lot of people are making it out to be. No, I don't. I don't think so. And like I said, if, if, if they use Vegas for leverage in terms of getting mired in New Jersey, then um, all power to them. I, I do like uh, Mukamadulin. I, I do think that he is someone that could eventually raise his way up to the NHL level and be a very solid defenseman when the, the likes of Eric Carlson and Mark Edward Vlasic are eventually gone. Um, yeah, I, I mean, the, the return is probably not the best, but it's not bad. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what the Sharks were ultimately trying to accomplish other than trying to move on from Timo Meyer. I thought that from the way it sounded, they were trying to trade like Reimer or Kakinen today. So I, I thought that that was going to be on on what they were doing. But it's hard for the Sharks, man, because they've got everybody left there. Eric Carlson's still there. They might explore that next summer. Uh, and they still got a lot of bets on the team. So I don't know what their end goal is right now. We'll move on. The Seattle Kraken did absolutely nothing. Didn't have to. Flat out. Did not have to do a single thing. No. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that's the general really consensus, didn't. right? Yeah. They really didn't. I mean, maybe if you want to try and get one more bit of goalie insurance, if you don't think Jones and Grubauer can get you anywhere in the playoffs. But other than that, they've they got the possible Calder, Calder winner in their lineup who's playing well. Their forwards are really good. Defense, they're fine. Seattle's standing pat, and they've, got, they've still got a lot of resources to where if they want to reload in the summer. They can absolutely do that. Yeah, I'm with you on that, right? Like, they could have added if they wanted to. Don't necessarily have to. Kind of a Buffalo situation. I agree with you about the goaltending. <laughs> um, again, right now, they are in third in the Pacific Division. Uh, with uh, 894 save percentage from Philip Grubauer in 25 games and an 888 save percentage from Martin Jones in 41 games. Yeah. You know what? If 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 this Kraken season goes haywire in these last 20 games, they need to have some sort of team documentary on that month-long run from Martin Jones. Huh. Because what he did in that month, you will never see it again. It was absolutely spectacular. So I hope they at least acknowledge that to some extent. The St. Louis Blues had a rather interesting time. Obviously, there was the Tarasenko deal at the start of the month. They also dealt uh, Ryan O'Reilly, uh, which, you know, again, I didn't want to factor in the Tarasenko deal for the Rangers. I mean, it was kind of. Uh, but again, from the Rangers, they get Sammy Blay, Hunter Skinner, a first and a fourth for the Ryan O'Reilly deal. Adam Gaudet, Mikhail Abramoff, a first, second, and third. They get Zach Dean from the Vegas Golden Knights for Ivan Barbashev. And today, Jakob Verana for pennies on the dollar. Thumbs up 
for me from St. Louis. I think they got pretty decent returns for Tarasenko and O'Reilly, who are both dealing with some injury stuff. I mean, when has Tarasenko not been dealing with injury stuff? You get a chance to be the team that gets to rehab Jakob Verana, who's had a really interesting six months. And I really, really like Zach Dean as a prospect. I get why the Knights were willing to move on to get Barbashev. We'll talk about it from their perspective in a bit. Uh, but Dean was the 30th overall pick in 2021. And I think he has been quite good in the queue. Uh, 51 points in 39 games this year for Gatineau. Uh, I really, really like him as a prospect. So, yeah, big thumbs up for St. Louis for me. Yeah, the uh, the return on Dean, it was, from what I was told, it was either going to be uh, two or three picks or Zach Dean. And I think Vegas made the right decision. And moving on from a guy that he's not their top prospect, but he's a very strong 200-foot guy um, that definitely showed some promise in his short time here. Uh, dealt with some injuries during dev camp um, and in training camp. So we really didn't get to see a whole lot of him, but obviously in the queue, he's playing really well. Um, they, I think they did really well in, in the O'Reilly return. I, I didn't think that they were going to get as much as they did, honestly. Um, but the fact that they got all those pieces, I think definitely is good for them. And, and I do like the Verona pickup. If Verona can get his life turned around, you know, he's still a very serviceable player. And if St. Louis is really on the way to the rebuild, he's not a bad guy to have in your middle six to kind of steer the ship. The Tampa Bay Lightning. We've already kind of mentioned their two moves. Did absolutely um, nothing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Michael Asimont and Tanner Janot, the two big pickups. And obviously we talked about the ridiculous, uh, you know, bundle of picks that they sent uh, to Nashville. Um, the Lightning, uh, their uh, draft pick list on Cat Friendly is the inverse of what you have from like Nashville and Arizona and Chicago at this point. But it's Tampa doing what they can to load up again and to go for it again. They have the skill, they have the grit, they have the defense, they have, you know, despite the fact they named Ilya Sorokin, for my money, the best goalie in the NHL right now. Uh, if you were to say, who are you going to take in a game seven for the Stanley Cup final? You're taking Andre Vasilevsky. Um, yeah, it's a thumbs up for Tampa because they're still going for it. And I respect the fact that they are just saying, hey, until we can't, we're just going to keep going mm -hmm. for it. So thumbs up for them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I, I just love Julian Brisbois not giving one hell of an iota of draft picks. And, you know, Boston did it. We talked about Boston just deciding. We don't need to do it. We look at Toronto. We don't need to do it. We just need to get the players that we need. Um, you know, the Rangers, we don't care. Just get the guys that we need. This is just a... <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Speechless. The Toronto Maple Leafs. And what a time it has been for them. Obviously, they started off with the Ryan O'Reilly acquisition. They picked up Jake McCabe and Sam Lafferty. Sent Rasmus Sandin to Washington for Eric Gustafson and the Bruins' first-round pick this year. Pierre Engvall out to the Islanders. Acquired Luke Shen from Vancouver for a third. And then the Dryden Hunt was a Horna swap. So for them, the big moves, it's Ryan O'Reilly and Nolachari. Jake McCabe, Sam Lafferty, Gustafson, 
Luke Shen. Um, it's a thumbs up. You know, Endo, it wasn't all that long ago on the show that we were talking about a quote about Kyle Dubas just being like, well, we don't know really kind of what we're going to do. And then, yeah, they went for it. Funny enough, they still have a first-round pick this year because of that Bruins pick. I think a lot of people were like, oh, is, they're not doing anything today? Like, you're not getting a goalie? Uh, and then it was announced that Matt Murray's expected to play uh, either tonight or tomorrow. I forget which it is. Yes. Um, I do have it as a thumbs up for the Leafs. How are you feeling as a Leafs fan after all these moves? I think it was great moves like yeah, in the beginning with the picking up uh, O'Reilly and uh, what is it? Who did we pick up this ball? Chari. Just great yeah. work to get that deal happening. And like then you, he made those moves. He didn't change anybody in the top like 12 for forwards. And then you go over and you look at the move with Jake McKay and Lafferty for Anderson and Gogolov. Joey Anderson, fringe, fringe NHLer. Uh, Gogolov still has tons of time to develop. He's only 23. Uh, he could definitely have some more time to do some, do some work there. And the big question mark was Sandine for Gustafson. But I think that I think the Leafs needed guys who had that experience in basically playing in the playoffs and actually putting work out there a little bit more. I think that was a good grab for them. Sure, they lost like Sandine, who was developing pretty at a pretty decent rate. But at the same time, I don't think he was developing in the rate that people thought he was going to because first they were like, oh, Lindgren is going to be the top guy. And then Lindgren got hurt. And then it's like, oh, it's going to be Sandine. And it's like now it's Lindgren again. And I guess Sandine was seen as uh, expendable. I think another thing, too, is that they was also possibly I heard there were some rumblings about them having not good talks to come to, when it came to uh, contract extensions and whatever. So that might be a reason why it just didn't work out for them. And they sent them over for uh, Gustafson. Yeah. Danny, your just thoughts on the, the Leafs? Thought, yeah, just the thought that they really revamped their decor um, as emphatically as they did. And I... What was it? They got so they got McCabe, they got Shen. Am I mm -hmm. missing any other defensemen? Gustafson. Yeah. Gustafson. So they got three defensemen. They pretty much overhauled half of their decor uh in the span of two days. Yep. Um the Gustafson one I'm I'm curious about because you know he's obviously gonna have his deficiencies defensively in his own zone, but mm. getting him on the power play is gonna help, I think, a lot for that team. Um, 30, 38 this points was, this season for Gustafson too. Yep. Wow. That that's pretty good. Um, but yeah, this is all Kyle Dubas, I think making one last big run here before they get to the nitty gritty. And it's like, if they don't get out of the first round this year, when are they ever? So, you know, it props to Kyle Dubas for, I guess, realizing the situation and deciding that he was going to be as aggressive as he is. And, you know, they got a lot of valuable pieces out of it. Mm-hmm. Gotta say, again, thumbs up for the Leafs. Um, final four, the Vancouver Canucks. Ah, uh, God, where do we where do we start with this? The retooling of the century. Oh, my God. Uh, so, Jesus. initially, this started off pretty promising, right? Like, you get Vitaly off for Will Lockwood in the seventh. That's a pretty shrewd yeah. move. Uh, mm -hmm. Josh Bloom for Riley Stillman. Third round pick for Luke Shen. Uh, fourth rounder for Lazar. But then there's the Philip Ronick move. Where you give up a first round pick to get this guy. Now, 
I like Philip Ronick. I agree. We don't know if he's going to be able to play at the same level that he has this season. He is signed through next year. For a lot of teams, that's a move that makes sense. For the Vancouver Canucks, who are uh, <laughs> 19 points out of a playoff spot with 21 games to go, you know, uh, you're not quite flyers bad in terms of uh, the lack of confidence that you would rightly have in the leadership of the team, but you're not far off. I can't give it a thumbs up. It's in the middle. Like, they started off strong, and then it's just, why give up a first-round pick? Especially when, as we talked about, the Islanders aren't locks to make the playoffs. You know, right now they're in that spot, but Buffalo's still right there. Ottawa got better. Florida's right there. Detroit's not even that far off, or Washington for that matter. I, yeah, it's it's been a whole season of, oh, Vancouver, what are you doing? Our, our favorite yeah. uh, soap opera, 12 years running, post the 2011 Stanley Cup final. Um. I, th- I think I can sum up Vancouver in one sentence. They gave up a first-round pick, and they did not trade Brock Besser or JT Miller. You know, it's funny. Uh, Patrick Alvin said today, oh, we didn't get a single call about JT Miller. I wonder I why. I highly doubt that. <laughs> Number one, yep, I doubt it. And secondly, if it's true, boy, I wonder why. When oh, you could have Jesus. not extended him and traded him and gotten a pretty good haul. God. Yeah. I, Vancouver, <laughs> my goodness. It's just, it's just bad. Like, I feel bad for Rick Tockett just getting out of a cushy job at Turner. He's like, yeah, I'm going to come in. I'm going to help rebuild the Canucks. And he's like, I've gotten myself into a heaping pile of dog poop. And then cut to Bruce Boudreaux redoing his um his speech, uh the famous speech. I think it was when the he was at the playoffs with the the Caps doing it with mm. the trade center for TSN. That was probably That'd the highlight. Cool. Yeah, that was probably the highlight of their whole thing. Uh, not their trade, uh not their tank Hartford Bedard song. Oh boy. Oh God. They're trying. As someone who had an insight over there, they're they're try they're trying to keep hip and it's not working too much for them. <laughs> the Vegas Golden Knights. They get rid of oh, Shea Weber's go. contract. They acquire <laughs> Ivan Barbashev, Teddy Bluger, and Jonathan Quick. From my perspective, obviously, I want to hear from the guy that covers the team for a living. From my perspective, though, pretty good. Pretty good. I mean, I'm a little bit surprised. Well, actually, then again, I'm not. I, part of me is surprised about Jonathan Quick, uh, but at the same time, obviously Leonard's out. Brassois, I think, is still having injury troubles, and Logan Thompson yeah. just got hurt, so it makes sense. Um, defensively, I don't really think they needed improvements, so yeah, you add Bluger and, uh, and Barbashev. I, I gotta be honest, I do think it's a thumbs up. I think I'm just still weirded out like everyone else that Jonathan Quick is a Vegas Golden Knight. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Uh, it was definitely probably the shock of the uh, of the week to see that. Um, I'll, I'll tell you this from Vegas's perspective: they absolutely 100% tried at everything. They literally 
went into this week thinking that they had a chance at either Patrick Kane or Timo Meyer. Uh, they were obviously in the running for Meyer up until the last day. Um, that clearly didn't happen. So when they got word that San Jose was kind of shifting focus, uh, that's when they went for, for Ivan Barbashev. And Ivan Barbashev gives them exactly what they're looking for with Mark Stone out. He gives them a guy that's not afraid to go to the middle of the ice. He's not afraid of uh, playing that kind of physical brand um, that I think that they were lacking um, from outside of Keegan Golzar. And he gives them someone that, you know, is coming off a 60-point season. He's got 30 points this year. Um, I don't think that they're looking to get him back to that 60-point form, but if you're playing with Jack Eichel, you're off to a good start. And so far through two games, he has looked fairly good. Um, He looks absolutely like someone who fits the mold of what Vegas wants to do. Um, The Teddy Bluger one kind of intrigued me from the standpoint of I didn't think it was a necessary move, but it sounds like Nicholas Waugh is going to be out for a little bit longer. Uh, They're moving Brett Howden over to left wing tonight. Paul Cotter becomes the healthy scratch. So now they're going to try with Teddy Bluger, and he's been one of the best defensive forwards in the league for the last number of years. I think it was – 87% 87% of his draws um, have occurred in the defensive zone. So Vegas is looking for someone who can play on the penalty kill. He's looking for someone who can, you know, be reliable in that fourth line and be someone that can play that shutdown defense against one of the better lines. So fairly good for them. Uh, Jonathan Quick uh, was definitely not on my radar going into this week. I don't think anybody thought Jonathan Quick was on anybody's radar, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but I, I I understand that he his numbers are god awful. Like there there is no way around it. The memes write themselves. Jonathan Quick is not good this year. He has not been good for a long time. The Golden Knights are hoping that with the way that they've been playing defense since coming back from the All Star break, and the way that they are hoping that Bruce Cassidy's system which two of you you know about this fairly well, their system of keeping everybody to the outside and being a goalie-friendly system is going to help Jonathan Quick. And if it gets to the point where Jonathan Quick has to play in a playoff series, you at least have a veteran presence in there because you don't know the severity of Logan Thompson. Laurent Bersois' injury came out of nowhere, um, and Robin Leonard's obviously hurt. So all in all, Vegas, I think, did what they needed to do to address the needs that they wanted to do but they were absolutely in and i and for the last few days i know that they were very heavy on james van reemsdyke um i don't know if vegas uh thought the price was too much it was reported it was a third round pick they had two third round picks in this draft so they could have easily shifted bears or buffaloes there if they wanted to um but no they absolutely tried they wanted to be the one team in the west that made the big splash um, but you know, it's getting, getting depth at forward and getting what you hope is a reclamation project for Jonathan quick. I mean, yeah, I, I would say they did fairly well, not the biggest moves, but did well enough to ensure they got some depth. Yeah. Our final two teams. Unless oh, I actually have a question. Yeah. I got a question. Your question then though. Yeah. So my question before we had a little bit of a technical difficulty was, if you are the 
Vegas Golden Knights. You have injuries with Brassois, and you don't know Logan Thompson's status and all that. Do you, if that Jonathan Quick trade doesn't happen, do you go for Brassois? Not Brassois. Do you go for Corpusala? I thought Corpusala was absolutely a target if they wanted goalie. Um, I I thought that if they were going to address that, they were going to look for three potential names. I don't have, these aren't confirmed in from my end in any way. Jonas Corpusalo, Jake Allen, and Semyon Barlamov. Those mm. were the three that I thought they would look into. And whether that was whether they actually felt that way, I'm not sure. But I do think when Quick became available after they traded him to Columbus, they looked at it from the standpoint of if Columbus is willing to retain salary, we have, we can get him on the cheap. He's going to be motivated. If God forbid they have to run into the Kings in the second round of the playoffs, then God help Jonathan Quick being the eater of worlds. But to ask him to come in and be that guy with 20 games to go, and it's completely unsure how long he's going to play. We don't know how many games he's going to get, no matter how many starts he's going to get. This is a big risk because and it's obviously insurance because Aiden Hill just suffered a minor injury. He's back now. He's going to make his third or fourth straight start tonight. Um, but if Hill goes down, then who do you have left? And I don't think they trusted Michael Hutchinson enough to carry them to a playoff push. So it, it's a huge risk, but it's going to be interesting to see how it, how it works out. Final two teams, the Washington Capitals. Uh, first and foremost, they re-signed Nick Jensen instead of moving him, which I thought was a pretty strong deal for them. Uh, obviously, they managed to get Craig Smith from the Bruins, a second and a third. They then used that first along with Eric Gustafson to get Rasmus Sandin. Third round pick for Marcus Johansson, second round pick for Lars Eller. Uh, honestly, not that bad of a haul, given the almost surprising fact that they elected to sell at this deadline and they were only four points with the game at hand out of that second wild card spot uh, given the fact that they for the most part elected to sell I mean you could certainly view Rasmus Sandin as more of a future than than Gustafson um, I think they did pretty good it's just very surprising that they elected to kind of like Detroit punt a little bit uh, when you could argue that they were still and really even still are in the mix to potentially make the playoffs. Yeah. My biggest thing from Washington that I came out of all these deals is what are you trying to set up in the final years of hoping Alex Ovechkin passes Wayne Gretzky? Mm. Like that, that to me is, are you trying to build a contender to ensure that you can make the last number of years on Alex Ovechkin's contract seem worthwhile? And to me, them selling was a very interesting way of going about it. Um, obviously, they've dealt with their own injury issues, and Darcy Kemper has been has had an up and down season. Um, but yeah, they're not that far out of the playoff spot. They're not that far out of you know getting back to the playoffs. I just wonder in the future when you know that the big story going forward is going to be Ovechkin passing Gretzky. What kind of team do you put around Ovechkin to ensure that these last few years are not going to be a wash? I think that's obviously the big question for them moving forward. And our final team, 
the Winnipeg Jets, who picked up Nino Niederreiter and Vladislav Nemesnikov for a second and fourth round pick. Uh, they did not. I mean, I imagine the phones had to have been off the hook as Logan Stanley requested a trade and they didn't move him. Unbelievable. Um, honestly, not bad for Winnipeg. You know, I do like their defense quite a bit. I mean, obviously, Josh Morrissey is still in that Norris conversation, really, given that it's based primarily on scoring, like most awards at this point. Um, but their defense is solid. They still have one of the best goalies in the world in Connor Hellebuck, and they get that little bit of extra forward help now with the likes of Niederreiter, especially moving into that top six. So uh, it's going to be a thumbs up for me as well for the Winnipeg Jets. I mean, kind of like Vegas. There wasn't the huge splash, but given that, I guess it's relative, right? Like, there wasn't a huge splash, but by Western Conference standards, Nino Niederreiter is a pretty big impact addition. Yeah, that's the move I thought Vegas was going to look into, because when Nashville, I guess, was reportedly open for business, first person I thought of, or first team I thought of was Nashville, and Nino Niederreiter would have been perfect for the Golden Knights. Um Good addition. I think they needed a jolt, uh, as is the case with Rick Bonus's teams. Uh, they kind of get stagnant over this time of the year, and they're going to need to find a way to kind of push through these last 20 or so games and ensure that you are not relying on Connor Hellebuck carrying the franchise like he has done many times before. So um, I, I like the move. Uh, the Nemestikov one is interesting. I think he can probably contribute on their bottom six fairly well. Um, but yeah, Winnipeg is going to be one of those teams where if they don't start racking up some wins very quickly, that that central race is going to be very tight. And no, any thoughts about the jets or do we look after over two hours at, at winding this bad boy down? I mean, you had to know this show was going to go about two hours. I think last year's went two and a half. Last year's went about two and a half. Yeah. Yeah. Give or take, I'll extend it for another 20 minutes with another rant. now. Uh, Winnipeg's <laughs> definitely bouncing back after last last season. They kind of had some hurdles, you know. With uh, was it last season that Paul Maurice just kind of left? Yeah, yeah. yeah he just kind of left. Said so, like that he can't do anything with the team. And I'm glad to see these guys are you know they're still like on the edge. They're in the second wild card spot um, in the uh, what is it the West Coast uh, Western Conference. And uh, yeah, I I want to see them be good and successful. Uh, they have a pretty decent lead right now over Calgary, but they got to get some extra points up there because it's going to get super close right now when the points actually really start meaning a lot more than they did in the regular season, in the beginning of the season. So with that, a solid four or five minute average for each team as well. But that is 32 teams in the books and another deadline day show done and dusted for those of you that made it through this entire journey with us i thank you of course it is great to have the podcast back and hopefully the next show will have sin back it might be next friday's show it might be a show in june there's no way of telling who's to say we might we might have to forcibly drag him yeah we might have to forcibly drag him uh, back to the states at this rate, but or what um, we might do is we, I'm gonna have to fly over there with you when you do sports gamer or whatever. I think I think the final will be by by then June July ish. Should be yeah, yeah we'll it should see. be. So I'll, we'll fly over there and have one in person in Helsinki. There you oh, go. That's the way to do. Promises. <laughs> I can't keep them. So, <laughs> Danny, thank you for joining us here again. It was uh, I was very. Very excited when you said you were going to be able to make this happen because, uh, 
you know, obviously it's it's one thing to just be like, oh, hey, we kind of catch up and, you know, communicate through Twitch, of course. But mm -hmm. uh, it's another thing to be able to actually just sit here for two hours and be able to talk hockey with you. So I can't thank you enough for being here. Absolutely. And whenever you guys are missing sin, I'm probably around. So let, let's get to the end of the regular season first and see what <laughs> translates on that. But no, always, always good to chat with you guys. Always. What do you have going on aside from just a flurry of articles for the Las Vegas? God, I, got, I got like three or four stories I'm working on right now just on Jonathan Quick alone. Uh, well, <laughs> Uh, we got we got Golden Knights Devils in about an hour and a half, so I'm going to have to head over to the arena. But I got a lot of uh, interesting things that I'm cooking up uh, for the trade deadline acquisitions, and Golden Knights are going on a road trip, so it'll give me a little bit of chance to rest uh, before the home stretch. And I'll be on vacation in a couple of weeks too, so good good chance to gear up for this ridiculous run that we're about to endure here. Yeah, I don't think Sin's going to get his wish of the Vegas Golden Knights missing the playoffs. Uh, this season so, so. <laughs> one more injury endo. oh boy mm, yeah you never know endo what what have you been up to what do you got going on um playing random stuff on stream i've totally given up on having some sort of schedule or anything i'll just play give me a game i'll I'll play it on stream i was playing high fire rush i love that game probably one of the best free games right now on game pass if you have game pass go play that on pc or xbox i should basically get paid for advertising that because it's such a good fucking game Play uh, Hi-Fi yeah. Rush, drink Dr. Pepper. <laughs> yeah. And wash your pits with uh, Manscaped deodorant, but also take a shower. You can catch me on Twitch uh, 12 p.m. Eastern. I've taken up the, the lunch slot because I'm usually up at like 11 o'clock anyway. So catch me there. Usually about one, two, three hours playing whatever. Probably going to play some GameCube games next week. Uh, just... I figured I might as well just get the GameCube up. Deke Slayer was actually hitting me up and saying, you should play GameCube games more often. I'm like, I haven't touched them in like six months, but all right. More Kirby. <laughs> I mean, more Kirby's never a bad thing, right? No. Never a bad thing. Yeah, uh, what do you got yeah. going on, Duke? Yeah. I know. I'm getting I'm getting back into the swing of things, man. The nightly streams. We're going to be picking things back up on YouTube. Obviously, NHL trade deadline. I can start up franchise modes again. I don't know. I might dip my toe into the be a pro pool just to see how poisonous the water is based off of your experiences this year. Well, apparently, we're um, never going to see what the created player looks like if that patch has never been addressed. <laughs> three days. Three um, days? It's been oh, three days right now since the beginning of March. It said, I think they've had a post where it said, like, oh, the beginning early March, you're going to post it out there. So I'm going to do what I did for... Um, Fuck, what was I good what was I bitching about? Crossplay. I tweeted every day. This is the day like this is the first day of me tweeting about crossplay, or whatever, and I guess I I guess I shut them up real quick. Well there we go. God we know how help we can get. Uh, yeah, and we're playing some college football revamped again because college football games are amazing. So a lot of stuff going on. With that, we'll wind it down. We will be back next week to talk about no trades. Although, I think the AHL trade deadline's in a week. Maybe we'll cover that next Friday. The most exciting yeah. trade deadline of them all. The <laughs> AHL. Go I on. mean, is there... Actually, this is a good question. Is there a legit signing deadline? Because I know there's like a certain thing where you can sign a player after the trade deadline, but he can't be eligible to play for the team or something like that. Like, for, for example, playoffs. if I... Yeah, if I am, let's say... Pittsburgh and one of my prospects is doing really fucking good. Can I just 
take him off the AHL and sign him to like a like a one year contract, or is that just like everything's nullified now? I mean, if he's in the AHL and he's your prospect, you already got him signed. But if he's on an AHL contract, you nullify the deal. Who knows? We convert it to a one way after that. Yeah, really sure. I think it might be a PTO. I know the Leafs said that with Scott Stabberin, but I'm not sure if that's like before or after the deadline. What obscure goalie will Endo mention next week? Kenny Tops, Scott Saverin, who's not a goalie. I was thinking of Danny Saverin, who used to play for the Capitals. Kenny Tap, Kenny Top, Casimir, Kasky Slow. Who the hell knows? We're out of here for this week. Manscaped.com. Go to you. Shout out to Danny Saverin with one N. Danny, what's your thought on a Danny with one N? Oh, screw it. I agree. <laughs> See you next week, everybody.